Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's Monday, the 28th of November, 2022. Turkey Day is over and we're back to business, bitches. Hi, it's the best podcast in all of MMA. My name is Luke Thomas. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you, as I always do, mostly anyway, from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my friend who looks like Jimmy Neutron if he fell off a truck and just got into the meth business. If, <laughs> it's Brian Campbell. What's up, Brian Campbell? Uh, Luke, thank you. And if I do, if I happen to look unshowered and um, unpleasant, that's because I am, Luke. Okay, so here I am, ready to ball up the fist and come back fighting after a fantastic weekend of uh, family, you know, fun, turkey, tortier, as the French Canadians would call a uh, meat pie, Luke. Um I don't really want to know about your gourmet meal that you ate at, with your brother and sister who are ex-famed uh, restaurateurs. I am wondering how much MK talk happened at the Turkey Day dinner table. Bring it. This is what the people are here to see. Congratulations to Larissa. But this is the lead combat story this week, Luke. So I'll say this. I got to give them credit in the sense that they were very nice to me, like truly, genuinely, very, very nice, very kind. I actually had a good time. But not one question about MK. Zero. <laughs> Zero is the answer. To so that. your dad didn't say, hey, did you guys end up winning that back-to-back uh, best MMA programming or not? He didn't bring that up. No, that wasn't brought up. The show wasn't brought up in any capacity whatsoever. So, But they were very friendly. I mean, I'd be lying if I said they weren't. They weren't. My brother well, was a great host. Well, as long as Tukes had fun. Okay? Tukes, had a, about the Tukes had a blast. So that's what I mean. Right. Like It was good. But there was zero MK talk, well, which is great because we can do MK today. I hate to be like you know George Teague and try to spike the ball on your star, Luke, but I was overwhelmed with love and support at, at Uncle Tony's house. I didn't realize that Cousin Connor and Cousin Ryan were big MK guys, like almost Ooh. P1s. And they're like, yo, I listen to that all the time. And I was like, what? So shout out to my family, Luke, although Cousin Rai Rai was like, Remember when that guy you did the show with used to have that other job? That used to be real annoying. I'm like, yeah, you knew it. You yeah, tell me it. about it. You tell me about it. it. I hated doing it, but I had yeah. to do it to make to pay for the bills. All right, we have a lot to get to today. So PFL happened over the weekend. Pretty big results, actually. We're going to talk about that and all the d- different championships that were handed out. There was an update in the Conor McGregor-USADA saga, sort of. 
We'll get to that because it's kind of important. Uh, plus, we're going to do uh, other news and notes, DMs. Have you seen this shit? A lot to get to. So oh, look, I've YouTube. got good shit. I've got I got some decent feasts this week. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, big talk. We shall see. You've been okay. you've been teasing it on the pre-show. You teased it on text. Yeah. We're going to see about that. So we'll see how that goes. So obviously, thumbs up, subscribe if you have it on YouTube. If you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, do leave us a nice uh, review there as well. Now, BC, you did a little digging, and let's remind folks if you want to get merch. Morningcombat.store is the place to go. I'll say this, Cyber Monday is still in effect. We're having a full-on sale across the site. BC, what did RJ Dunkel Gangbang tell you about that sale? RJ Milfmugger told me, Luke, that uh, that uh, Black Friday is still live. Today, as you mentioned, is Cyber Monday. So our promo code for you to get 20% off every single item right now on morningcombat.store is Black Friday, not Black Adam. That movie sucked the horn. Oh, that movie is real bad. Yeah, Black Friday, by the way, is our code. Get Look, right now, you want to wear a bomber jacket? It's that time, okay? Get 20% off. You never have a better chance to get it for cheaper. You want to wear amateur director hats, MK style, or that... That like MK Hub shirt, that's our best seller because we have absolute decrepit uh, morale in terms of our fan base, Luke. But, um, you know, it's available if you want that shit, too. But, uh, Luke, would you say that, um, like, I, I would say to you, Luke, I wear MK merch like four to five days per week. Even if it's just like the undershirt mm. below a sweatshirt. Do you ever put on the... The, the you know put on the blue Dude, look i would say i'm pretty close to that three to four days a week i mean my my closet is not i won't say nothing but but it's at this point like 50 percent mk merch it's crazy yeah. how much mk merch they've given us which is great i'm very happy about it and if you want yours it's available well, on the, the site point of me teaming you up is that you're such a you know fickle and anal person luke that you wouldn't wear that shit that that often if it wasn't comfy and it wasn't stylish so uh, why don't you join us in this revolution black friday's your code 20 percent off right now morning combat dot store there you have it and of course showtime is the label that pays if you want to try to get showtime which by the way there's a bellator event not this weekend but the following or i should say next week anyway you can go to showtime.com get a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you are allowed to bounce and that's that uh, and, of course, the show for Wednesday's Fan Subs, Friday's Dead Wrong, which, by the way, we're going to have a double-packed Dead Wrong um, this coming Friday. So strap on your yeah, helmet there, and, we're going to get crushed. little teaser, we're going to be in the studio on Wednesday this week, so there's nothing yes. like that live magnetism of two men coming together right now over me, Luke. But uh, we're going to bring phrasing two men coming together i don't know if we're going to be doing quite like that but uh it'll well be it depends <laughs> depends who's directing our photo shoot to be fair but uh we're going to bring in chuck we're going <laughs> to bank some good material so wednesday's going to be a very productive day in these parts look if you had to establish a title on this pfl pay-per-view you're going to grade it you you, you win or you're a loser what you like do you like it luke um okay so overall was it a scam price was the scam was it a scam to price this pay-per-view what, what, what do you what do you, what do you, you know Oh, just, I mean, just all, no Vaseline, just <laughs> gas and a little, or what was it, a match and a little bit of gasoline, that's it. Verbatim, that's it, yes, verbatim, yes. Uh, all right, if you're ready, I'm ready to get this show started. So let's start with topic number one. Really the biggest news in terms of the fights themselves over the weekend, and by the way, I gotta have a major mea culpa here, so don't worry, I will, but let's get to the actual results themselves. Kayla Harrison losing in a shocker. A monumental upset. Larissa Pacheco wins 
via unanimous decision, 48-47. I think most observers had Pacheco winning the second, fourth, and fifth, and most observers having Harrison winning the first and the third, although some of the rounds were pretty close, but either way, Pacheco wins. Now, BC, I want to say up front, I thought there, this was never going to happen, no chance, hoisted by my own petard. I want to explain why I think I got it wrong, but let's start with you and what you made of it all. What does this loss mean for Harrison? What's your big takeaway from this fight? Yeah, and by the way, shout out to uh, Aaron Bronstetter, a friend of the program who produced instant receipts that he more or less called this as a possibility in August. As you can find out, it took me a few months to come around to this idea, but it turns out fighting a world-class opponent three straight times, it's going to be hard to dominate and win every single round against them or even every single fight. You know, what Kayla said ahead of this fight is this isn't a rivalry if if my opponent has never won a round. Well, she has now. But for Larissa Larissa Pacheco, she had gone 5-0 with five first-round KOs since last losing to Kayla three years ago. But it was her complete, well-rounded game that won her this. And that was the biggest shock. Luke, if she had come out there you know, fell behind and then knocked Kayla out, we'd be giving her, you know, flowers up the kazoo. But that's not the way she won it. She won it by essentially going into the same areas in which Kayla Harrison typically dominates opponents and then not only proved that she wasn't going to get dominated, but with her jujitsu proved that she, what she did, the best thing she did, outside of largely keeping Kayla from taking her down, right? The best thing she did was when she did get taken down, she made her jujitsu an absolute threat, which made Kayla's aggression oftentimes ineffective, even in top position, that completely changed this fight. Because when you don't allow Kayla Harrison to dominate you on the ground, which few humans on this planet can, then you got to go on the feet with her. And that's Larissa Pacheco's game. That's where she landed the bigger shots. That's where at times it looked like she was forcing Kayla into almost like not desperate shots, but, okay, crap, I got to try to change the momentum of this fight type of shots. I did not believe that Larissa Pacheco would win in this manner, which is beating Kay- the great Kayla Harrison in basically every single category across the board for 25 minutes, keeping up the gas tank, constantly making the big adjustments. I had it three rounds to two like the judges. I thought rounds three or five, three and five, you could have flipped either way depending on how you how you saw it. I don't agree with Jed Meshu and his WT uh, stance on one round one being a 10-8 round for Kayla, but I'll say this, close fight, but the right fighter won. And Luke, she went into Kayla's wheelhouse to do so. That was not on your bingo card or Bronstetter. No chance. No, it certainly wasn't. I was surprised. I mean, I I certainly had completely undervalued the abilities of Pacheco. I totally wrote off the possibility. I mean, again, if I thought if she was going to win, it was going to be if she was getting dominated and not landed a lucky shot because she is heavy handed. She's got some good striking, but that that would bail her out. But that really wasn't the case. To everything you said about essentially having to fight mostly really on Kayla's terms in the sense that Kayla would go for takedowns and then sometimes they wouldn't get it, but they'd be these extended scrambles that she'd be initiating and still finding a way to persevere through that or other methods of the fight. I mean, I got to tell you, I thought Pacheco's improvement was frankly kind of remarkable. If you go back and you watch the second fight, there's so many pieces of the game that she had in this one that she didn't have in the second one, whether that's takedown defense or at least stopping the takedown, at least initially, whether that was being able to um, land uh, from underneath as heavily as she was. We saw that triangle that she attempted. The triangle wasn't close, but the fact that she was even able to threaten it at all, I think it just put Kayla Harrison on a very defensive 
footing. The thing I'd also say in terms of my own error here, BC, because I think when you get it really wrong, you've got to tell the audience why and, and be honest about it. I, I, think, I think a few people had done this. Definitely, I think I'm guilty of it. I think I had, frankly, overestimated Kayla's abilities to this point. I want to be clear about that. She is obviously very, very talented. Hello, this is her first and only professional mixed martial arts defeat, and her opponent had to get three cracks at her before it happened. She's still quite good. But it did seem to me in this fight a couple of things were, were uh, happening. One, she was just didn't have much of an answer on the feet. Like the, the fight was really either get the takedown and win on the ground or not at all, right? And then that, so that's the first problem. The second problem was she was able to get the takedown. She got six of them. The other problem, though, is that Pacheco got three of them. So it wasn't like she was getting totally blanked here. And then while on the ground, this was the big one. And I saw people talking about this. I think you might agree too, BC. Not so much for Harrison's benefit, but for the competitors and frankly the audience's benefit. I think there should be elbows allowed in the actual championships, like the final event of the season. They should allow elbows for that. But either way, whether they had or whether they hadn't, there just wasn't hardly any ground and pound. And I also noticed like she had a hard time establishing top position. It took her a while, especially in those later rounds. She had a hard time passing, it looked to me. Like, there just well, wasn't enough urgency and, frankly, methodical damage happening on the ground for there to be enough going on. Pacheco had good guard retention, constantly giving her problems, a good ability to strike underneath. She was obviously yeah, was much the better on the feet. Dude, when you mix the activity that Pacheco showed on the bottom with the threat of the takedowns, it rendered Kayla ineffective in... Dom normally dominant positions. That's the key to that fight. I can't believe it happened, though. Seriously, right. I can't believe it happened. And also, I'll say this. Both ladies, I thought, because it looked like after the second round, Pacheco might have been slowing down a little bit, and maybe her cardio was going to catch up for her, because they were fighting at a pretty hard pace in a lot of the, the uh, portions of the round. But no, her cardio held up for five rounds. Now, Kayla's, I thought cardio was pretty good, too. Obviously, she's a championship-level fighter as well. But Pacheco showing, like, she had, dude, they had clearly, like, it seemed to me that Pacheco had put beating Harrison as her North Star guide. Of and course. what are all the things she needs to do to make sure that happens within reason? And getting good cardio and really making sure your striking was dominant and forceful. And, and frankly, like putting Harrison in panic spots in a couple of those rounds underneath, staying offensive, just denying every little inch of that grappling game that Harrison needed to make her game come to life. So it wasn't like some kind of dominant oh my God, victory, but it was a lunch pail. I'm going to fight on every single level that I have to to get it done. I take my hat off to Pacheco. I apologize for getting it so wrong, but it's an incredible win. BC, let me pitch it back to you. Well, I, got, I, got, I want to pitch it right from you, Luke, and tell you this. Do you remember when Chuck sat on our couch on the pregame preview ahead of Adesanya and Pareda and said, you know, in, in just such eloquent uh, Sir Charles Mendenhall IV, you know, ways that – we all are coming to here as this is the story of Izzy and getting to, rede you know, redeem the two losses he had in kickboxing, when in reality, what if this is the story of Poetan? And it turned out to be, right? Uh, this was the story of Pacheco, not just sitting on those two L's for three years, but Luke, she also was, you know, kind of the favorite to be the runner-up to Kayla in last year's tournament, too. But as we talked about, had a missed weight, got kicked out of the tournament, basically, and missed her opportunity. All that just, you know, you talk about building toward the North Star. I mean, all that, dude, just fueled a resolve where, think about this. If Pacheco goes out there, let's say she goes out there and fights great, but still loses a competitive split decision. 
that may end up being her name in history. Like, that's her footnote. You know what I mean? She was one of the, the group of fighters which Kayla Harrison ultimately dominated. Although, hey, let's give her credit. She went the distance three times and finally nearly won. This was her career-making moment. It's not that she was never going to have a big fight again, but we had seen her early on in the UFC, and it didn't go great. This was her chance to not just make her name and, and the potential of, of huge rematches, but, but you know everything in her career on one night. So Kayla had all that working against her. So I think when you look back at the stuff we talked about leading up to this fight, would there be the potential for complacency issues with Kayla? I didn't necessarily see complacency. I just saw saw somebody who was outthought and 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 outfought at typically every turn, you know, in ways that I don't think Kayla could have expected. Who would have expected when you take away or that somebody could take away her, you know, A and B game that, you know, where she's not allowed to dominate on the terms she normally does, what's that fight gonna look like? She just hadn't had that that history to show us that. And you mentioned, you know, Kayla didn't do much on the feet. She did a lot in the first round where, where she had a great round and even into the second, but something happened along the way. And I wonder if that was Pacheco's right hand kind of starting to discipline Kayla because by rounds three and four, you saw that Kayla didn't want to be on the feet. I mean, rightfully so, but I saw her going for takedowns in non-disguised ways where suddenly it was like, okay, there's, there's some urgency here to really try to put out this fire that has started. So as you look at the totality of this fight, Taking into account the the rivalry before them, which has that weird Izzy uh, Adesanya, you know, memory to it, was this more about Pacheco being ready? I'm sorry, Pacheco being better than she ever was before, leading to this moment, or was this more about Kayla just being flat? I mean, what actually happened in their loop? I think it's uh, you know, it, people hate these answers, but I really believe it's true. I do think it's column A and column B here. I mean, it really does seem to me that like. You, you mentioned that there's this sort of story of triumph with Pacheco in terms of her life story and all the difficulties and then getting to this point, and it's kind of amazing. That's really true for a lot of the winners. It's true for OAM. It's true for Lachman. It's true for a lot of these guys where this is like a huge triumphant moment off the back of setback, off the back of of difficulty, of obstacles, of you know, fear and, and difficulty and everything else. I think all of the setbacks that Pacheco had really kind of drove her to greatness. I also think that, and I do, you know, I do believe that this loss will be beneficial for Kayla long term in the sense that, you know, these losses for the right kind of competitor in the right kind of setting with the right kind of team and the right kind of internal constitution, they do make you better long term. I believe Kayla will benefit from that. On the other side, as I mentioned, because it's column A, column B, Pacheco benefited from that in a sense. Again, not everyone does. It's not automatic. It takes the right kind of fighter, the right kind of person, and the right kind of environment for them to elevate themselves out of the muck of difficulty and setback. In the case of Harrison, I also think her game has it's stagnated just a little bit. I like Kayla a lot. I know she watches some of my stuff. She might see this. So I'm not doing this to bash her or to, to pile on or to make things uh, more difficult for her. And what obviously is probably a very difficult time in her professional career. At the same time, there just needs to be pieces of the game that aren't there yet for her to get to her next stage, right? There needs to be a little bit more comfortability on the feet. There has got to be way, 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 way more damage on the ground in ground and pound scenarios, whether that's by adding elbows or not. I don't think that's the difference maker, quite honestly. Very fair. But, but, Very but fair. If, she wants, if she really wants to take her game to the next level, and I'm certain after this loss, it's the only thing on her mind, man, there's just got to be a lot more than control to it. Okay, I got to dig deeper in the wound because I thought you you gave a very, very smart response that was accurate. 
it, it was as nicely harsh as you can be, but it's still harsh. I want to unfortunately dig even deeper into that wound. Is this ultimately, you know, it is a great loss for Ka- for Kayla in the overall arc of her career, right? It's not over here. She didn't get one punch. There's not like a Ronda Rousey scenario, you know. She but she was solved. So was this loss? Now that we're we're peeling in even deeper. The result of what Kayla Harrison's career up to this point just has not given her the opportunity to learn because when she gets other opponents in dominant positions, they don't have the resistance or they don't have the striking ability on the feet to force her to bring the fight to the ground. Whatever it is, she steamrolls those folks. So was this more, this Kayla lost more about the idea that, you know, she hadn't met her equal yet until now? Or the flip side of that, Luke, is it just that, you know, we... Did we overvalue her? I mean, do, do, like, are we asking too much? I mean, did she get audited? Did, did she get audited by Larissa Pacheco, Luke? That's, uh, audited, that's the- audited is a strong word. I tend to think of auditing as like thorough. I mean, here's the thing. One more round goes a little bit differently and Kayla retains. Now, there might be a different narrative around it, you know, in terms of like she barely won. What does that mean? Fair enough. But, you know, it wasn't like some kind of drubbing. She didn't get drubbed. This was a this was a closely contested difficult fight for her i think the pacheco was the clear and quite deserving winner but nevertheless that i will say this though bc it in some senses no because like you know how deep is women's 155 like not that deep they've got you know if anyone's got them it's pfl but you know ufc doesn't even have this division beltor doesn't even have this division it goes on and on it's not like it's some kind of you know worldwide division she is i want to say this one more time kayla harrison is not just a decorated judoka by a mile by a mile she is the best judoka in American history. No male has ever won the gold medal. She's got two of them. She's got two of them. And she's out, out down there in American top team with Mike Brown, Steve Mako. I mean, it's like, dude, she's just built for success in every way you can imagine. But I do think if there was a bigger division, she might have lost earlier in her career, BC. That's yeah. what I think. I think she got really good. And it's not, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not in any way doubting she trains hard. But it's different when there's a like a legitimate fear of like, holy fuck, I have to. I mean, I got to turn yeah. over every rock, cross every T, dot every I to make sure I get ahead. I don't know if she had that competitive pressure on her until Friday night. That's why I asked these sort of specific questions, and in the end, it probably is a little bit of everything. Because look, she didn't implode, she didn't gas out. It, I know it wasn't a complete audit; it was just a competitive fight in which she lacked Came an ability. Up short. To- to find that extra door to open to come over the top. Yeah, came up short. Um, she definitely was was challenged in her cardio, which never happens. She was definitely challenged in, like we said, I mean, when she had Pacheco in very vulnerable positions, Pacheco was either offensive enough or, the, or provided enough of a threat to make Kayla average in those positions. And that, that was shocking to see. But uh, Luke, I have so many questions related to this. Uh, a big one is, What do you do next in relation to, like, you know, Sean O'Connell said, like, this might be one of the biggest upsets in MMA history, you know, and odds-wise and history-wise, it might be. But Kayla also didn't have access, unfortunately, to opponents before this of this ability level with this exact story of having come up empty twice and then found a way to come over the top. And let's give Larissa Larissa Pacheco a chance to show us that she's world-class and elite moving forward. How do you book the future? Kayla told Ariel Hawani in the MMA Hour last week that she has two fights remaining entering the 2023 season, and there's no extra clauses involving matching or anything like that. So, Luke, does she do they run back another season? Although I don't know if you could because she's only got two fights left to try to produce this 
fourth meeting between them, or do you just go right back to the pay-per-view well and launch this pay-per-view division, which was the big cornerstone of signing Kayla, and have these two rematch outside of a tournament for another shot at that title? What the hell do you do now if you're... Yeah, I mean, do you really need to do another 155 women's tournament? You've got other weight classes. Use them. Uh, you and then, by the way, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even think they have a 135 division. Um, you know, they uh, for for excuse me for for men, they the bantamweight division. They could get one there. They could try to move into that direction. I mean, they, they already have, have a bunch of. What you're saying is they've got already bloated like bloated like uh, what's below lightweight? They're like bloated featherweights already, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I haven't looked at their full roster in that way, but I guess what I'm trying to point out is, dude, you just rematch them. I mean, this is. I was going to ask you, and I, it kind of leads into this question, like whether or not this loss was good or bad for PFL. And the answer is, well, it's bad that their star figure that they put so much in kind of got upset. On the other hand, it's actually good for them in the sense that now you've got a rivalry. Now you've got someone who's a legitimate test, and her trying to get the title back from Pacheco, even though she has the two wins prior, is actually very intriguing, and we don't really know if she can do it. That was a tooth-and-nail fight, and you can imagine Pacheco is going to be quite motivated to hold on to it. So I think you can do that, and then she could have some fight against Aspen Ladd or whoever the fuck down the line. Cyborg? And then uh, is that still in play? Is it still in play? A cyborg, by I the way, is going to listen. Man, is gonna I box don't, be- in I don't the, believe. Hold on, hold on I- one second. Cyborg just announced she's going to box in the co-main event for uh, the Bud Crawford fight on December 10th. So she's in boxing at the moment, but do you see a pay-per-view super fight between brands in 2023 if? If uh, Kayla wins back the title, no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I just don't take seriously the idea that Bellator and PFL are going to work together. And you could blame whoever you want there, either, both. I mean, I, who the hell knows? I just don't really buy that they're going to work together for that. I would love to be wrong. Certainly wouldn't be the first time, but uh, I just, I'm very skeptical of that. So, BC, let me ask you what do you think they should do? My view is. Fuck the tournament 155, have them rematch. You can find some other fight down the line thereafter. You can try re-signing whatever you want to do. But you don't need to make a 155 tournament again no, with this you, whole thing. And you nailed the two key parts of it. Like, the first key part of it is just go right back into a fourth fight between them. The history's there, plus if Kayla wins it, she's right back where she was. If she wins it, it's an amazing fight. God, you can have another rematch if you wanted to, or you can still keep her on track for all the stuff we just sniffed out, the potential of a cyborg pay-per-view or whatever else it would take for PFL to keep Kayla. And maybe that's another separate discussion for another time. But either way, for the immediate future, this brought Kayla down, but you got to set up that rematch. And the fact that there aren't any other real lightweights is the biggest factor. Whether you want to do a 145 or a 135 tournament, most of the people you have masquerading at lightweight are only there to kind of, you know, enter the Kayla discussion and and try to win a million dollars in that tournament because it's available. But if you can put something together at 145, I guess you do it. Um, Yeah, but, you know, in the end, this this, this plays better for PFL. It does, Luke. It really does. But without knowing the outcomes of next year, is it when I just mentioned... PFL will, you know, do their best to put Kayla in a position to want to resign. Is that even in play in your mind, or is it automatic that she's fighting out the last two and moving on in your head? I think that these two have, might have run their course together. I think they probably ran their course already. I don't think Kayla wants to be there. And over time, if you keep, I mean, again, if they can't come to a deal at this point, Kayla might be able to move on. But imagine that they did have matching rights or something like that again, where they could really lean into that, you know, just keeping someone you're on your roster that doesn't want to be there. This just leads to bad shit down the road. It leads to more press uh, in the bad side than is worth keeping. So I think this is probably going to be the end of their relationship, but remember something BC 
Dude, Kayla Harrison's not 25. She's 32. She's 32. So I guess she'll be 33 about some point next year. This is not exactly over the hill, but this is if you're going to go to the UFC or some other promotion or something else big, it's right now. Michael Chandler was 34 when he made the leap from Bellator yeah. to UFC. That's a little bit older and it's different circumstances and different athletes and all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, it's like this has got to be it. I, I think they've run their course together. They've both benefited from the relationship, but all relationships tend to run their course. But um, if, if the UFC thing, though, unless they adopt my women's heavyweight idea, like she still hasn't proven that she can make 145 consistently, and that's exactly what she would have to do True. to go to the UFC and, and get those fights with Amanda and whoever else she can find. But like, here's the thing, dude. If she fights Pacheco again and can't win, I don't think that that necessarily means she couldn't sign with UFC or couldn't sign with Bellator. I don't believe that, but that might change her options on some level. It's hard to know really exactly what it would all mean, but I think if she gets her belt back, um, and she has the championship to like, hey, I reclaim this, and now I'm even better. And like, if she let's say she goes up there and looks amazing or whatever, I think that would really boost her fortunes. But if she loses again, maybe she does stay with the PFL because that really would be her best option. Yeah. It's really, really hard to say. I, in got, that sense. I got one more question to you before you you move on. Is the PFL structure system as a whole? which essentially means you have to win four fights in an eight-month period. Now, it's not unheard of. Bellator used to have the tournament season that was so grinding. Are we undervaluing, as we just talked about the main event and now transition to the undercard, how difficult this is compared to yes. regular you know, regular MMA and, and what we're used to, to yes. be forced to fight four times in eight months? Um, I mean, not everybody gets there physically just, just to make it, you know? So, you know, so I'm glad you brought that up because – Bellator under Bjorn Rebney. It's so funny. PFL basically does what they do. I mean, it's, it's there are some meaningful differences, but that was kind of what the Bellator experience was like under Bjorn Rebney. And he got canned in 2014 after he introduced this like pool where guys didn't have to go into the tournaments anymore. And then they brought in Scott Coker and it was a whole thing. But um, I remember talking to guys who were working under that system and what they feel like they, what they told me was not not to a man, not every one of them, but a couple of them definitely said this was that they felt like it took years off their professional career. Wow. That uh, and Bellator was doing it, but remember their system back then was a little bit different. So it was almost like if you made it through the tournament, it was almost like one every month. So you know you're t you're fighting three times in ninety days or something like that. It was brutal. It ground some of those guys into dust. I think Pat Curran got ground into dust for doing all those things, and it really sort of shows you how fucking remarkable that Patricio Pitbull is. That he did numerous tournaments. Oh, yeah. And look at him now. Like, he's <laughs> I just mean, a he fucking for Iron Man. Yeah. But he um, has um, whatever they have down there that produces humans like Shogun and RDA and Big Nog. I mean, it's just, they're, they're just, they're made they're, out of they're different. They're amazing. They're but made out of the question, parts, dude, it's like, a fucking grind. And, like, you see these guys, partly when they win, they're happy that they won. They got the money. They got the belt. What's the first thing like half of them said when they were interviewed? This is the hardest fucking thing I've done in my life. I came into this one injured. I came into the last one injured. I've never done anything so difficult. Like they're telling the truth, man. They're telling the fucking truth about how difficult it is. Even if you discount that the quality of opponent might be somewhat lower than, you know, even they were in UFC or whatever, just the regularity with which they have to show up to claim that belt and under the difficulties which they're competing just is insane. It's very, very, very difficult. So... Something to think about there. Speaking of which, BC, we go now to point number two. This was that really my favorite moment from the whole night. I got to tell you, man, Brendan, they kept saying Lochnane, 
Um, but I also thought it was Brendan Lochnan. Either either way, point number two, he goes from being a Dana White contender series. Point number two, boys, uh, contender series cast off to now a millionaire. He did it and becomes PFL champ at 145 pounds, stopping Bubba Jenkins in the fourth round. But really, that that path was set early on in this fight. Brutal leg kicks, phenomenal boxing, and he got it done, stopping him ultimately in the fourth. BC, he was overcome with emotion. They brought his family into the cage. This was truly triumphant. What would you say is the best way to characterize a victory of a guy who gets cut from the contender series, goes through all this difficulty, and ends up here? Yeah, blood, sweat, and tears is the best way because he had to earn it every single step of the way to make that transition in front of our eyes as, oh, yeah, that's the guy that got the hard luck with Dana White, you know, or that that's the guy that got screwed or that's the guy whatever because he went to, for too many takedowns to becoming this battler. And that's what he is. Look, none of these stops on this ride to winning this $1 million were easy or were him as a, you know, overwhelming betting favorite. This fight in particular against Bubba Jenkins was an exact perfect representation of that grind where he gets his nose busted up early and, and, and gets wobbled by Jenkins and is fighting through the constant blood flowing, yet is chipping away with calf kicks and eating a fair share of his own that were just brutal to watch. I mean, the toughness Bubba Jenkins showed to push Brendan Lochnane to have to put forth a performance like this is just really, in a lot of ways, what this tournament is all about and what does make it unique as a potential free agent offering to anybody out there in the MMA game because, you know, you get the chance at the $1 million for sure, but you get put in the damn meat grinder. And it was maybe, you know, apropos that that Lochnane had to prove it in this way. But like every other stop in this journey to get here, he just bit down and proved it. He's very good, um, but this was as hard-earned as it could be. And that seems to be the story of his career to this point. So you got that real emotion. We'll see that wholesome moment with my feces shortly. But um, Luke, about this million dollars, and we can you know keep it on Lochnane for sure, but... Is that like a bonus on top of what they already make? Or do they need to win all the fights to get one million into totality? I did always wonder that. Do you have uh, do you need John S. Nash on line one? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um I don't I don't think it just covers with, with what you would get in the purse. I think it's the bonus on top, but you don't get just one million at the end. It it actually comes staggered. Um but yes, it's ultimately, I think, an extra million in prize money, but it's not, hey, here's a one million dollar check, take it to the bank. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Uh, BC, I got to tell you, quick quick uh, pop quiz for you. Brendan Lochnan defeated who on the Contender Series? Wow. Don't remember? No. Is he, is he a hammer? Uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. We, uh, oh, you weren't there when we went to Extreme Couture. It's Bill Alge- uh, Algio. Bill Algio. Yeah. Um, uh, Senor Perfecto uh, over at Extreme Couture, who, by the way, you know, I think he lost his last fight, but he gave old Herbert Burns the business. That's who Brendan Lochnan beat. Like, he didn't beat some, like, terrible guy who you never heard from again. He's a guy who made his way to the UFC and has done quite well for himself after the fact. He's only had one loss in PFL to Movlid Khabulayev, which was a split decision. He's beaten everyone else. He fought in, let's see, uh, April. He fought in June. Then he fought again in August. And then he fought again... Uh, over the weekend, an absolutely brutal fucking stretch. And he said of he was fights. hurt. Did you hear him after the fight? He's like, dude, I was, you know, crazy dude, injured. Four, like, I'm. Think about this. Think about this. He fought on the 28th of April, and then he fought on the 25th of November. That means in the course of seven months, he fought four times. Four times in seven months. 
I mean, dude, I don't care if these opponents aren't as good at their very best against the guys of the UFC. That is insanely difficult to do. He stopped, uh, he decisioned three of them, and then for the chi- then against Bubba Jenkins, put on the performance of his fucking career with those unbelievable calf kicks. I mean, he tore Bubba Jenkins apart. And dude, this was the, mo- the most amazing part, and they talked about it on the broadcast, Bubba Jenkins is striking that may be the best I've ever seen it in yeah. all of his of career. He's training with um, uh, the, the the Black Cobra, Dewey Cooper, the whole time. An amazing, amazing leveling up of his abilities here, but he was not to be denied. Remember this conversation we had, I think, a couple of weeks ago, BC, where we're talking about, like, if we only ever talk about the guys in the UFC Hall of Fame, you're just missing a lot of what makes MMA great. You're missing a lot of the stories. Perfect fucking example, yeah. man. This you're missing kid. Neil Magny. Don't miss that future Hall of Famer. That's okay, what you're that's saying. Not I, I, I never said you. he was a future Hall of Famer, BC. You're just making a joke about it, but I'm trying to be serious for just a second. You miss stories like this. You miss guys maybe not getting treated fairly by promoters and having to reroute their whole career, and it, all of a sudden it just turns into a different level, and they've got to figure it out, and then they do, and then they do. And he did it with sensational ability the whole way. You cannot feel anything yes. but great. For Brendan Lachnan, what a win, what a performance, and at this point now, what a champion. And and I'll say this, we, we question the PFL going to pay-per-view at the last minute for this, right? This wasn't announced to open the season. Even Kayla was outspoken and critical of that decision because she said she wasn't getting any extra points. She didn't give the promotion a, a chance to help them promote it. It was all kind of last minute. But yet, if you did pay for it and watch it, you almost got a steady stream of these make good stories, you know, OAM to Rob Wilkinson. I mean, look, it was like you physically watched in front of you people that had an early exposure, had an early chance and and stumbled or 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 the timing wasn't right and fought back. And Lockname was the perfect example because he rallies back and wins with blood trickling down. And it's this emotional scene. But I guess that's. That's the core of what PFL offers. I guess I, I ask about the grind of the season and do wonder if it's sustainable because, you know, we saw different Bruno Capeloza, uh, Ray Cooper III in the past year sort of seemed like they were ready to come out and go full bloom, and then they got hiccuped, whether it was an injury or a tough loss or whatever. So um, this is not easy, this tournament. But uh, these stories and watching it all break out, I, I felt like I was touched a few times while watching this card, Luke. And, and maybe the smart cage knew that in advance because it's, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, I didn't have my Dude, it's what, like I didn't I, I didn't have to watch enough in, Hallmark in Christmas the minds of like weekend, the executive you know? meetings when they like plan this shit out. What do they say is smart about that cage? Like, what do they it, uh, it can pick up the miles per hour of of uh, of the swinging bag, Luke, as it sways. I think that's that's what it is. But uh, I mean, just a series of absolutely useless fucking stats. Hey, and then, hey shout I, out! I, you, you know, sweet baby Ray Flores. Of course, you know him, right? And him. By the way, yeah, him and brother uh, was the was the uh, announcer. Yeah, yeah, he did. Don't spoil my thunder or anything. But by the way, him, it, uh, Ray, and and Raul Marquez, not Rafael. I can't believe I called him that the other day. They were on the Zepeda Pro Gray call, which we'll get to. But yeah, you're right. Uh, sweet baby Ray's brother was. Uh, what's his brother's first name? It's a. Uh, um, I forget. Yeah, sweet baby Ray's brother Flores. Is it Miguel? Uh, it's Miguel Flores. Miguel, Miguel. thank you. I've loved botched that in the moment shout out to miguel flores who we've met and know from boxing but you know he did a very, very nice, nice job guy. on that pay-per-view card but luke as you look up and down this card i mentioned getting hit in the feels a few different times um did you see ante delia facetiming with crow cop afterwards as he got Hold on, we'll get ace- to that we'll get to that one last thing one last thing because that's point number three so we'll, oh, staying sh- on oh, oh, and then we'll move on very quickly very quickly bc we talked about with 
Kayla, do they do another 155 tourney? Different circumstances there. But with Lockton as champion, do they just sign Shane Burgos? They've got other players here. There's a 100% chance they're going to do another featherweight tournament, right? And yeah. they should. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. And the, and and you, we talk about him having his sort of full full blue, you know, full turn movement. Let's see now if he can defend it. It's physically not easy. It seems like the stakes and the opponents are only going to get better as, you know, look, PFL, like anybody who's competing with every other major organization, is trying to create divisions that are loaded enough where they can say, like, when them call fault Corey Anderson, is this the best light heavyweight in the world, the winner of this? Um, PFL, in their own way, Luke, is starting to populate some of these divisions fairly well. Certainly true. All right, so to your point, we move now to point number three, which was the rest of the card. Now, BC, personally speaking, I thought that the Bud and Aspen Lad fight sucked the horn. It was terrible. But there was a lot of other really good fights. Well, hold on, hold on. You Don't skip over. That's another redemption moment that this card offers. But did you agree with the scoring as Aspen Lad, you know, ends the losing streak? I, yes, more or less. Why? Did you not? I, felt, I That third round, I think you flip a coin. And in whichever direction you went. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the fight, two to one. Look, so it's like, it's hard, Luke, because Aspen Land overall did what she had to do and had a fighting spirit and kind of took away some of those real negative areas she was doing with her striking, making a lot of noise, not covering a lot of distance. She got rid of that. She was active, but she wasn't overwhelmingly awesome against a stubborn, tough out with a nine-inch reach advantage in Julia Budd. Were you impressed by Aspen? It was like, I yes and no is the answer, right? Yeah, yes and no. Like, I was, I def, definitely thought 145 was a better weight class for her. I mean, there's just zero debate about that. Okay. And there were some parts of her game, like early in the first round when she had the back and she had wrist control and she was going to work. I'm like, all right, here we go. But then it kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. So I would say good first attempt on the career restart. I would say that. Would you not agree to that? A good First attempt on the restart. Yes, because that okay. they did not give her an easy opponent. That was a very tough no. out. At, you no, know? they didn't. Uh, okay, so BC, I'll pitch it back to you. Aside from the Bud and the Aspen Lad fight, what else stood out to you in this card that was either good, bad, or otherwise noteworthy? Yeah, it was the continuation of the thread that started with Lochnane and just this redemption, or Pacheco, actually. You know, just this constant redemption, bring it all the way back around. And, and Ante D'Elia, the, the heavyweight champion, you know, had already beaten Mateus Scheffel, who who was upset-minded with that big right hand, but that first fight was a war, and this was a war for the, you know, half of a round that had happened. And, you know, how about Ante D'Elia? Like, that, he was never a favored son the last two years in this heavyweight tournament, but to see him stand in and take big punishment, which he's often had to in his biggest wins, and deliver it, be the last man standing, and then get to FaceTime Krokop, his, you know, mentor in, in, in countrymen there. And you see the Croatian fans at the Garden Theater were like, jumping the guardrails for him. Hey, another good moment, Luke. And, you know, he makes fun fights. You can't really say anything bad about him. No, you can't. For me, I, I was going to say OAM to me was maybe the most impressive in victory. Wilkinson, you could make a case for, because yeah. he really bodied Omari Akhmedov over the first two rounds and finally getting the stoppage in between them, basically. But, dude, OAM with that right hook completely shutting the lights off of Stevie Ray. And let's be clear about something. Like, Stevie Ray can grapple a little bit. He had a mat return to a back take on OAM, which he had to fight out of. OAM was one of these guys who was initially like kind of like a wrestler type a little bit in UFC and retooled his game, repositioned everything, really worked on the details, and gets a phenomenal finish. They like a no-bullshit one-hitter quitter. And they showed the replay, too, because Stevie Ray kind of moves afterwards. But yeah. his eyes are like all over the place. It was just a really triumphant moment. I love the PFL stories in the sense that 
a lot of times promoters are selling you a lot of bullshit about you know what the story means and how significant the victory is. Here's how you know like that's really not in play here. Look at how much it means to the winner. Yeah. The winner puts an extraordinary amount of significance. And we're not talking guys who are like, you know, 19 years old and this is their first big taste of something great. We're talking guys who have seen the mountaintop, fell all the way back down, and then had to climb all the way back up. They had to really do it the hard way. OAM did Everyone. it the hard way and got Every a single one has victory. a hard scrabbled story. Like as much as Lochnane fought and crawled and the exactly OAM did to get to this point. Um, it's wild. I mean, look, like again, it's like, was this worth the pay-per-view? I was entertained because these fights, people went at it. There was a lot at stake with the million dollars. I mean, it, it was successful. If 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 PFL wants to make the championship always a pay-per-view thing, Luke, I'm not against that. You know what I'm saying? But um at least it delivered entertainment-wise. I want to also bring up, because this guy will not be in Have You Seen This Shit, but Jeremy Stevens got, got subbed in round two against Natan Schull. And Luke, that does drop him to one and seven with one no contest uh, going back about four years. And, and yeah. the one win was a split decision win. So uh, what's the future here for a 36-year-old uh, little heathen who still is the hardest hitter, Luke, at 145? You know, I'll say this, man. I, I interviewed him. I've interviewed him many times, but like the last one was like 2018, 2017, something like that. He was still in the UFC. And he I, I've, I've brought this up a number of times because it always stuck with me. And I asked him about some fight he was offered. I don't even remember what it was at the time. And like, did you decline it? And he was like, I didn't even know we could decline fights. He wasn't being serious. He was sort of doing a bit. He's like, I've, you know, I don't ever, 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 ever decline fights. And we love him for it. The problem is, dude, you might shorten your career doing that because you're going to fight fucking hammers left and right. And even in even in PFL, dude, Natan Schultz is not a household name. Dude, that, or Natan Schultz, however you pronounce it, he's very good. He's yeah. like, he's a legit fighter. It wasn't like they, it was, if he left the UFC, great. Out of the frying pan, right into the fire for him. Um, this is what happens when you take, it's not like he doesn't work hard or he's with a good team. All that stuff's true. But yeah. he's taken a ton of abuse, a lot of miles on him, and I think it's well, beginning to show. We're starting to see whether it was Rory, whether it was uh, Pettis, now Stevens. It's if you come here as a free agent from another big organization and you're in your twilight, you're going to get not, eaten it's alive. Not, it's not easy. Like you have to come, like you, you know, you you might as well go somewhere else where you can just make fun action fights, you know, against other names or whatever. Because you, the meat grinder's starting back up again next year. The season's going to start again and. That cage ain't getting any dumber, Luke. Okay, you know you know where I'm going with that. I'm sure you don't. Hey, uh, we'll get that, to the. Can that cage get me tickets to the uh, the Meadowlands when yeah, uh, Pantera opens for Metallica? I think if you ask nicely, Luke. Uh, we'll get to the Marish Bowl later and in, in the other uh, title oh, win we didn't God, mention. That was so sad, dude. That was so fucking enough. sad. The other title win was Sadabusi had a largely boring. Uh, yeah, pretty boring w- fight. Went over Delano Taylor, but he's also a. You know, redemptive champion. A lot of great stories there for the PFL, Luke. So, all right. Um, Before we go. move on from PFL, last question about it. Give me a grade for everything for the pay per view, for the price, for what you got for it, the whole nine yards. <sighs> what, what would you say was the bang for your buck on that whole thing? That's hard when you say the price, you know, and, I'll, and look, it's also hard for us to talk about that because, you know, when was the last time I paid for a pay per view, Luke? You want to know what the answer is? Never. You get them reimbursed. I haven't got mine reimbursed in a while. I always had a black box or I work somewhere where I got reimbursed. And maybe that's, you know, but I I certainly know what it's like when you're like, do I do this pay-per-view or do I take my family somewhere? And there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of money, which combat sports 
put you in that position. Boxing loves to put you in that. Um, so was it considering the price and that the fights were really good? Look, that main event, Pacheco Harrison was was drama. It was great. It was high level. It was fantastic. The card delivered. It did. It really freaking delivered. But it definitely shouldn't have been a pay-per-view. So B? B. Yeah, I think that's about right. It was actually a pretty good card. Um, the only two fights that kind of sucked were the uh, Lad and B- Bud fight and then the C and then Taylor fight. Other than that, it was pretty great all the way through. Great stories, great pacing for the most part. Um, as you mentioned, main event really kind of delivered, uh, certainly in terms of drama. So, yeah, I'd give it about It shouldn't have been pay- a, a pay-per-view, but I'd give it about a B as well. Not, not a bad effort all, all around, I suppose. Uh, altogether, uh, do you think... Now that we're another season in the book, the announced team of of O'Connell, Florian, and Randy Couture, do you think that they're you know world class that, that that they're coming they're coming along? Where do you sort how do you sort of grade them, Luke? Um, I did hear them pronounce the names so that I could do well on today's show, and didn't listen to much after that. All right, there you go. So I'm not the best person to ask this question. Why do you like them or not? Yeah, I do like them. I do like them. I, I don't think they're great yet. Meaning, I, I think that they're still they're still getting used to each other. But they're they're very good. They they are very good. And, I will and, say this: I've heard a lot of Sean O'Connell because we worked together at SiriusXM um, when he was still actually in the PFL. I remember when he won his final season and then quit and then became like full time broadcaster. Sean O'Connell had a background in radio before working for SiriusXM, and then when he got there, I remember I was talking to our, um, our our program director at the time, and she thought he was so good, and she was right that he was like he should be doing um, college football for like Pac-12 stuff, and he ended yeah. up doing that as well. So like, dude, Sean O'Connell is a very talented broadcaster. Here's the thing: and PFL has a hit with him. If he wasn't a fighter and he just walked on, which I thought at first he was, and I you know I hadn't done the math, and oh yeah, that was Sean O'Connell. Um, He's really good, but you add in that he's also a fighter, and I think it just throws this story through the roof. Like this should be more of a front page story. The transition, and not just he a fighter, made. a guy who came in their system and then won it, like proof of but concept, like, kind of a good. guy who, for being a fighter, he has taken over the play by play role, which has certain responsibilities that are different from being an analyst that that are challenging, and has pulled off not only that part flawlessly. To be fair but knows when to fit in uh, analysis himself having been a fighter. So, you know, that that timing and that pay, that that sort of um, decision-making and discipline is hard to develop over years of reps, and he gives his color men a lot of room to to do their job well. So, yeah, I think he's the glue to that team, Luke, and I think they're going to get a lot better. I mean, I've always been a big Randy guy. You know what I mean? Always. Yes, yes. Randy's Ray- obviously pretty good, but... Uh, oh, he's great. The star of Look, he show. might be he might be the best uh, fighter analyst of all time. People are going to think that's controversial. I think no, he's great. Brian Stan was better. Brian Stan was better. They're both you American so? heroes in their own way, Luke. No, I don't think yes. he was better. Brian Stan was very good, though. I did. I enjoyed his. Uh, okay, but either way, we're talking about some pretty great guys. All right, BC. Let's talk about topic number four here. Moving on from PFL for just a second. So this is a weird one. Conor McGregor took to social media over the weekend to basically go after Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, I think he does the Believe You Me podcast with Michael Bisping, um, although he talked about it with us as well and I think some other places. But somehow Conor McGregor got wind of it. And basically what Anthony Smith's argument was was that, like, this is bullshit. How is this guy able to, like, get out of the testing pool, take a bunch of PEDs, and then just come back when he's ready? This is nonsense. And, of course, he recently suffered his own ankle injury against Ankalaev and... It goes on from there. 
Conor McGregor hated everything about this and lashed out at him on Twitter saying things like the audacity of this loser then tagging Anthony Smith. You're a loser. The percentage of the bones joining back after a break like this is so low you think I give an F about anything else. I'm the most tested fighter of all time in combat sports. I gave everything to this game. You nothing. He went on and on and on from there, even putting out like um, recorded messages for Anthony Smith. But in the end, here's what he did say, BC, and this is the what I wanted to have a conversation about. Quote, Everything was fully disclosed before I began. The state of allowance for athletes to recover from injuries as horrific as the one I overcame must be assessed. My thoughts are with Weidman and Anderson Silva, the three of us and only us know the severity of this injury. BC, subsequent to this, ESPN uh, and Mark Ramundi followed up with USADA to get some kind of confirmation about what the hell is happening here. All they said was that he would have to get back into the testing pool for six months, although an allowance could be granted. Remember the same thing they did for Brock Lesnar at UFC 200, where they're like, fuck it, you can just come right on in. And that kind of blew up in their face a little bit. Nevertheless, BC, we are back where we started a little bit, where it's like he wasn't cut, he didn't retire, he was not removed from the rankings. How is this fucking possible? It appears, and I want to use that word very clearly, it appears that what McGregor is arguing is that he received medical treatment that standard USADA restrictions would not allow, but fuck it, he did it anyway. How do you unpack the situation? What is the significance? Well, PEDs are also really good for recovery, so he's making a fairly strong point right there. Yeah, in some way he's kind of like uh, openly admitting things, but... Also, the the system and structure is kind of broken, Luke. I mean, in in some ways, is it parallel to the marijuana discussion? Not even central to just fights, but in general, right? I mean, it's like, you know, there's there's, I mean, you when you mix with the everybody's probably using anyway way of looking at things, which I think is the accurate way, mixed with this is a scenario where Connor's probably right, and this could greatly aid your recovery. I mean, look, didn't R.I.P. The great girl dad himself, Kobe Bryant, went to Germany for those special sur- surgeries to get himself back on the court, right? I mean, what are in those special surgeries, Luke? Uh, really good went, medicine, uh, my, right? My understanding is he went to Germany to get stem cell therapy, which USADA does not prohibit. That's my but understanding. I guess it fits the same larger point that there's, you know... Well, you know, no, Mirko Krokop, for example, took HGH per the recommendations of his surgeons and his doctors to right. heal one of his injuries, and that got him in trouble, but he just left you I mean, you're the matter anyway. You're the drugs win, drugs war t-shirt guy, Luke. You may be right here. So Connor admitting it, yeah, and, and the reason why Raymundi got a quote from USADA was because Connor was kind of bragging on Twitter about the potential of him coming back and was sort of mentoring February of next year, and then, you know, that he could just... Co- just come in, pass two tests, and be back. And then that's when USADA responded and be like, no, you have to do the full six months. And they said, the, the the key part was they said that this situation would not meet the exemption terms that they would normally operate. Well, I guess it was fine for Brock Lesnar, right? But yeah, your point taken there. But uh, also, I, mean, are I don't we, think it's are USADA's all, decision, it's UFC's. I mean, is anybody debate? Okay, here's the things that we have to talk about. Is anybody debating that he's on the juice? Nobody is, right? Is anybody right, going to It's hard to and- know exactly what that is under what protocol. It seems like it's a medicinal level to treat this horrific well, injury look, he suffered. He also prioritized, and I'm not damning him, doing the role in the remake of Roadhouse, to to which necessitated him bulking up and going another calendar year without a fight. Now he was also recovering from the leg, so all that. So like, I don't think anyone's going to debate that he's probably. But I think you can also make the same debate that he did that. Using in the in the in the force of recovery too, like if you can, you might as well exit the USADA pool and do that. I mean, it's, right. you know what I'm saying? Like you're already right. investing. Okay, okay, so but much. here's the problem. Here's the problem. 
Funnily enough, I actually had a couple of UFC fighters call me over the weekend. This is a true story. I saved wow. it for today's story because I didn't want to ruin it. Yeah. Are they, are they, they were, are they good at fighting too? Uh, high level, very high level. Um, head, pay-per-view headliners. Oh my, oh my and, God, Luke. Okay. Wow. They called me because they were very confused. They're like, I don't even understand how this is possible, right? Like I can only get out of the testing pool per the rules if I've retired or I'm no longer employed with the organization. I'm like, well, that's. Certainly what they've told the public is the rule. But remember, people are like, well, Connor just must have retired and then unretired. But if he retired, he has to be removed from the rankings. He was not removed from the rankings. So that, from what we know, that can't be the case. And so I don't know what USADA is or is not doing, but it doesn't match whatever they told us publicly are the rules. So this is where the confusion comes in. And what they basically expressed to me was, and this is like almost like they had had a coordinated conversation about it, they basically were like, they don't even care that Connor got to do this stuff. They really don't. But if he gets the option to heal this way, they want the option in the event yes. that they have some kind of other really very serious injury. They want the option to deal this way. And you know something that we always do on RSD for all the fighters that come through? I didn't do it for Glover. I should have. But for I, I do it for a lot of the other ones, which is like, tell me about all your injuries. Guys, if you've never talked to a senior level fighter, these fucking guys wreck themselves to say nothing of like the CTE and traumatic brain injury, just the orthopedic shoulder, finger, wrist, knee, elbow, ankle, all that shit, all those issues get, I mean, they are massive problems. And when Connor talks about how he wants to be able to play with his kids when he's older, dude, I feel that completely. I totally understand that. But if he is allowed by some mechanism that we don't know to go and get medical treatment that other guys don't get, I'm not mad at McGregor for getting it. And from what I understand, I don't think the fighters are mad that he got it. What they want to say is, I want that shit. I don't understand what the problem with that is. Look, I think this is the same situation. I think I said the same things when, like, if you're a, cele- if you're a celebrity level fighter, so we're basically arguing that it seems like both USADA and the company gave preferential treatment to a celebrity level fighter. Like, how would they waive the clause for Brock Lesnar ahead of 200, you know? obvious reasons why. And I think this is the same case as when John Jones was allowed to move his rematch from against Gustafson because the state commission in in Nevada wasn't going to address that until the next weekend after the holiday. So they didn't clear John. So they did. Everybody said, Oh wait, let's just pack up and move it down to four hours away in, in LA. And everybody was like, cool. Yeah. During Christmas week, no problem. Right. It was John Jones coming back after a very long time. Could I, so yeah, you're right. This is preferential treatment. When you get to that celebrity level where you can flow in, kind of call your own shots and um, everyone should have access to that, Luke, which is, doesn't this just exploit that the testing system, as you always harp about, which you're right, is is just more of a dog and pony than we even than we even necessarily well, It's just one of the about. things, this is a common critique of anti-doping, which again, no, people don't want to listen to until it's right in front of their face. But one of the major documented critiques is it actually makes the dividing line between the very elite who are rich and the ones who aren't even worse. People yeah. think like anybody who can take it will just raise their level and then it will just level the playing field, which is actually not quite right. When you have anti-doping in place, what ends up happening is the people who can't afford to get around it can't afford to get around it. The people who can find all number of ways, whether it's stuff that isn't detected or whatever the hell. Again, we don't know exactly what's happening here, but we appear that something outside of the rules that as we understand them, again, I want to be sort of clear about the, 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 the ambiguity of it all, appears to be happening here. There's lots of ways in which it actually entrenches power. It doesn't do the opposite of that. And I want to make one more point, BC, 
on this whole thing. It's like, listen, I understand that I have a view of anti-doping and perhaps you saw it more specifically that it's going to take a lifetime, I think, to convince people. And maybe even then it's not enough time. And I, I accept that. I really do. But what they are not entitled to is your automatic trust. No organization is. They are not entitled to the idea that they can operate at carte blanche. No organization is. If you believe in their mission, that's one thing we can have a debate about. But if you're going to grant that they exist, all of us still have a responsibility to say that we don't have to agree to every single thing that they do. If you want to say that they're the good guys, I don't think that that's really a fair way to put it. Nevertheless, you don't allow them to just make up whatever they want to do or whatever rule they pass or whatever that we have to accept and say, well, that's because they're the good guys. We just have to go along with it. No, all of their rules and all of their meetings and all of their statements, all of them deserve scrutiny. And the last thing I would say here, BC, is it's one thing for any organization in any sector to you know do things in a way that isn't in keeping with the highest standards. We all kind of accept it. But if your brand your whole brand is transparency and your whole brand is trust and your whole brand is where the adults in the room. And then you have a clear situation that again, we don't know what is happening, but clear in the sense that there is an obvious contradiction here that remains unclear. You do not get to then benefit from the halo of trust that you told us you deserve because now it's being undercut. I just want folks to understand you don't have to agree with the totality of my position on anti-doping to still be a critical thinker in this scenario and say, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. And the ways in which the ways in which that informs your judgment about them should be changed accordingly. I mean, this is, you know, I've worked in a factory. This is the OSHA guy showing up once a year and you have to get everything in order. Or if you worked in a kitchen, this is the health inspector, right, Luke? You know what I mean? Let's all like button up and look good when we have to, and then go back to regularly scheduled debauchery. I mean, this is what this is, Luke. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, how far are we away then from, it's like we, we've we now realized and all come together and be like, not only like can we all make money off of marijuana legalization, oh, this wonder drug can help so many people in a million different ways. Right. So can HGH on your recovery to keep you healthy as an athlete, right? Right. I mean, if, I think it's if not you've black got a magic, but it is science there. I mean, yeah, it's I don't so- understand. Like, does it help with bone fusing or other kinds of things that you might need in the case of what? McGregor had. And again, there are all kinds of different things guys could take. Peptides and the fucking works. Um, but I just feel like USADA doesn't have to tell us what's happening with Connor, but they have to tell us the mechanism in place by which someone can leave the testing pool, not be cut, not be retired, and stay in the rankings. Celebrity. Because as it stands, we don't have that. And this, whatever the fuck is happening... It just it, has to be explained. You can. We know the ingredients, though, Luke. To be the adults in the room and do this. You're a giant brand and a pay-per-view draw, and you also work with the company to make really huge fights. All right there, it is. That's that's the pact right there. Celebrity. I think it Zoom is its, cutting out because I heard like three words of that. That's fine. It was it was largely bullshit. Hopefully, my Wi-Fi catches up in time to to, to share shit with each other here, Luke. Hopefully. All right. I still got like two words of that, but I'm going to plow on just the same. Okay. BC, uh, fifth and final topic. This one is near and dear to your heart. You know I love this guy. How about this fight? This one went under the radar because it was on a pay-per-view that really, I mean, talk about PFL pay-per-views that no one wanted to pay for. No one really wanted to pay for this one at all. How about Regis Progre, the Rougarou? By the way, his wife is Brazilian. He's trained with Jose Aldo. He guy loves MMA. He's a boxer out of Louisiana. I guess now Houston, whatever. He stopped Jose Zapata in the 11th round to claim the WBO, excuse me, 140-pound title. BC, 
help the folks understand how legitimate is this win for Rougarou? Huge, huge. Not just in the way he had to earn it against a guy in Zapata who almost like in the second half of his career has found out this formula to be as good as he can be and he's a tough title off for anybody and he makes fight of the year after fight of the year contenders almost accidentally. But this was more about the arc of Regis Progre in the end because he was a guy who, you know, was once this this warrior with the fun mask and the Rougarou background, all that, you know, the, the nickname and all that stuff but never got the right deal at the right time, promoter, network, manager-wise, to get ahead in the more traditional ways. And it was almost looking like he was wasting away on the bench trying to get more big fights. Well, he had that big unification against Josh Taylor. We know what happened there. Fight of the year, great performance. He lost by that close on the scorecards. And it took this long doing the mandatory system and getting involved with the alphabets to work his way back up the old-fashioned way and even though this pay-per-view, you know, shout out to Marv Nation, the promoter with the with the big bid, probably didn't move many units there. These two put forth a performance worthy of the war grounds there in Carson, California. It won't be a fight of the year, you know, leading nominee, but it was a fun fight because both were willing. But Progre proved that he's still got a lot of gas left here, even in his 30s, in this division. He grabs an important belt. He stops Zapata late. It, it was always a, you know, it was a boxing match, but it was an aggressive one. But Progre was did never never allowed Zapata to to do what he does best, which is sharpshoot from the outside from the southpaw position. He made him fight at relatively close range, and then ultimately broke him down, wore him down, and stopped him. So when you look at the landscape now at 140, Josh Taylor still has some of the belts. He was the undisputed champion. He's going to rematch uh, Catterall. Some of these other belts are floating around here. Now one of these belts is around Progre's race and his number one contender, a mandatory contender next, will be the former unified champion in the division, Jose Ramirez, who was supposed to be in this fight but wanted more time to get married and take a longer break. If we're going next, Regis Progre against Jose Ramirez or potentially Teofimo Lopez, who's going to return Heisman Weekend against a replacement opponent but is in this title picture as well, um, Ruguru may end up getting the close-up in the opportunities, Luke, that his talent and excitement deserves. This was a really good performance because you didn't really know where he was at in his career right here because it just been so long since he was in a real, big, meaningful fight. But how about that performance, man? It was, it was grimy, and he got it done. He went after it. I was proud of him. All right, so you mentioned like what could be next for him. Where would the fights take place? What is his contractual situation that we are aware of? How, how available is he to move to various networks well it depends right because didn't he sign with probellum which had you know deep links with daniel kinahan reportedly or very obviously yet everyone declines that so where does that leave him you know was this odd purse bid win pay-per-view for unheard of marv nation just some front for probellum and can i don't know luke i don't know at the end of the day okay certainly you know far better journalists than me are at the roots of all that but can he now as champion work himself through who is promoting and managing him to be amicable to go over to ESPN and potentially fight Jose Ramirez in a title fight or, you know, go to wherever, to zone wherever it was needed to make these fights. He may end up being in sort of the spot he's always been, which is like in real interesting free agent. Why is major promoter have, why have they not signed him yet? Um, he's kind of still that guy. And some, if long as he has flexibility within the deals he has, Luke, he may be able to just shop around and defend that title wherever the biggest offer 
or or most exciting op- opponent is available. And, you know, not just Jose Ramirez, as I mentioned, in that top-ranked ESPN family. Also, you're talking about Teofimo. So, Luke, the, you know, if he, if he has to fight Jose Ramirez and Teofimo Lopez in his next two fights, they're going to be big. They're going to be action. And I, I have to believe, you know, networks are going to work together and make this happen. Or or his team work together, which whichever, whichever network it would take, which in this case, ESPN. I mean, are those front row viewing for you? I mean, you get, yeah, that's, that's insane. Those are going to be great fights. Yeah. Like that's, that's not, that's not a hard sell at all. It's just a question of like between Marv Nation and Pro Bellum or whatever the fuck. Is he going to be able to move into like top rank territory on ESPN? But they have nowhere else to go, right? And unless they're trying to put on these, you can't be making money on this pay per view. They had to have taken a bath. There's no question they had to have. Right. So, in that sense, I I think some kind of move is inevitable. And either way, Ramirez or especially Lopez, dude, those are sick fights. Uh, Because you mentioned like it was a gritty win, but dude, Progray's kind of slick too when he needs to be. That's the other part. Like he can be a lunch pail and like, you know, meet you in the middle kind of guy if he has to be but if he if he leans on his strengths he's a he's a fairly versatile fighter in sort of in my opinion anyway oh d- definitely now now you're always going to fear him against a, a super elite boxer with a backbone the problem is those are really hard to find right he found one in Josh Taylor when that fight was a majority decision 12 round classic back and forth i'd love to see that again at any weight class but if he if look if if progray can can control it on his terms like he did for most of us, then he can start to go downhill and try to break you. He lured Zepeda into a kind of shootout that he wasn't going to win, right? Because this isn't Ivan Branchik, who made such a great war with Zepeda, and they knocked each other down like six times, but they also had flashy chins in those big moments to create that level of drama. Ruger is not going anywhere. He's going to stand in there and trade, so you're going to lose that battle if you try to outshoot him. To really beat this this aggressive version of Progre, you have to also be an elite boxer. But, you know, Jose Ramirez is of that ilk. Certainly Teofimo. I mean, these are going to be some fun-ass fights. And don't forget, Luke, all the talk about all the excitement at lightweight with Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, Devin Haney, now Shakur. Those guys are all going to be moving up to 40 more or less eventually anyway as well. So this larger discussion of flowing fighters as they move up in weight, even with the network divides going on, this Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia come together could be the could it be the beginning of, of the breakthrough? I mean, all at this weight class, 35, 40, and you know, obviously always leading to 47. It's some of the, the most exciting fighters in this entire game. Okay. Let's 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 start making these money fights. Let's get really excited about boxing. Okay. I'm fired up. And Lopez, December tenth, as you mentioned, Heisman weekend, he fights Sandor Martin. So yeah, who who, who retired Mikey Garcia? So he's not a, you know he's not a chump. He's he's you know he's semi. He's pretty he's legit, Luke. Right? Very good. Uh, all right, I want to remind folks Maybe. we're getting closer to the end of the month, and you know what that means, BC. It's almost time to select the first ever Money Lion Hammer of the Month. For those of you who may have missed it, a few weeks back we decided we wanted to start spotlighting some undercard fighters who aren't getting the recognition they deserve. Our new sponsor, Moneyline, agreed. So we came up with the Hammer of the Month, which invites you folks out there, the viewers or the listeners, to nominate which undercard fighters blew your mind and deserve to be rewarded for it. Very simple. Go to moneylion.com slash morningcombat to learn more on how to enter. And, of course, you can tweet Moneylion at Moneylion, and you can use the hashtag Hammer of the Month or even Holy Hammer if you're so inclined, or you can do it on Instagram at Inc. Uh, same kind of thing there. BC, I will say this. Last thing on this card from PFL, there was uh, way down at the bottom of the card, Dakota Decheva beating oh, Catherine. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't pronounce her last name. You're going to be picking those kernels out of my shit shortly, Luke, okay? They're well, kernels of gold, all right? Yeah. Well, she won via like, right hook and hammer fist. I mean, a dominant, yeah. dominant puncher and striker. 
She looked tremendous on this card. So you know, it took a while to get them here, Luke, and they've certainly taken their time, but but they have blown our mind. And, you know, Aaron Blanchfield on top of that list as well, along with uh, many others. This has been a very, very uh, wild stretch these four weeks here to try to identify the first hammer, but somebody's going to get to hold that thing by the shaft, Luke, okay? So hopefully it's not a female so that this moment doesn't ring awkwardly true in our brain stems. You know what I mean? Uh, only your brain stem, which is... Uh, Terribly damaged. All right. (laughs) It is time now for, uh, well, you guys get to ask us the questions. It's time for DMs from the Diggity Donks. Yeehaw. 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 We've got Uh, more. As a reminder, we put up a post on Instagram on Sundays. You guys fill it up, and then the producers pick questions. All right, BC. From Cole underscore Brown 858, what comparisons, he should add, if any, do you guys see between Kayla Harrison and Ronda Rousey? After their first loss in MMA. Not I that got many, it. actually. I got it. There's just one. They're both female. Oh, they're both two. They're both uh, accomplished female judokas, Luke. That's the only comparison here. Right? Yeah, like Rousey imploded in a monster, terrible upset where she was viciously put out. And Kayla was scrappy. Like, that was a close fight. Um, and Kayla and... went to the press conference after and talked. So there wasn't right. any of that either. So. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're both women, they're both Americans, and they're both blondes is really about the beginning and end of that one. So, that I can think of. Anyway, all right. Uh, Question number two, at coach underscore Corey 96. Again, worst name ever. Who poses a bigger threat to Islam? I was going to say, like, the Crusades? No. Uh, Volk or Dariush? I feel as though Benil didn't get enough credit for how soundly he shut down Gamrot. He got a plenty from me. Some of the best defensive wrestling I've seen in a while. Volk or Dariush, who's a bigger threat to Islam Makachev? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, Darius is a bigger physical threat. Darius is very well-rounded, dude. Very well-rounded. And more experienced than Makachev. But he's also a a physical threat and clinches in with his you know with his punching power. He's in in ways that I question if Volk can be in this same matchup. Volk is also a freaking wizard, so I give him more potential to go full bloom in directions that I didn't see coming than Darius in such a difficult matchup. So while there are better, there are good arguments here to pick Darius for those reasons. Volk's the best fighter in the world, so I'm still going to give him the chance to show me that against Mahachev. I won't pick him to win it. I'll tell you where to put your betting money, but I also respect the shit out of that guy, Luke, and do wonder because he's competed in the past at very high weights in rugby or whatever the hell that was that, you know, he may be able to just carry weight and still be the same guy. Who knows until we find out. Obviously, this is the hardest way to find out, the most difficult possible, but at least they're letting him fight at home. 
Is Perth home or is it too far away for any Australian to call it home, Luke? What is Perth? Like like the Siberia of, of down under? What is it, Luke? Just a Siberia, I don't know. I don't know about Siberia, but like, you know, it's definitely, uh, from what I understand anyway, pretty far fucking out there. I mean, the, the, the argument for Volk would be he is not as big, but he can match physically strength. He's going to be quicker. He's got, you know, the very extremely difficult stand-up to solve. Um, and, you know, just cardio until the, the bell rings, basically, when, for, to beginning and end. Like, he just has unlimited nearly cardio. That's one argument. Darius is, like, very battle-tested, great submissions, super good wrestling, and, like, plenty of aggression on the feet. I don't know if there's much of a difference to be. I mean, there's difference in the the, the things that they would offer Makachev as threats to solve, but in terms of their difficulty, I don't. It's hard to tell if there's really a meaningful difference in terms of the difficulty between them. But I think I'd side with you a little bit. We are talking are we about the best pound, pound fighter in the sport with Volk. You know, like what happens if Makachev does what will end up being more, you know, more likely from a betting standpoint. But still, if he goes in there and not only beats Volk. And even if it's more due to size than anything else, but you know he's also can do it without the size equation in his you know in his favor. What if he goes out there, takes down Volk, and just grounds him up into a pulp? Like he's the best fighter in the world, right? I mean, so are we, we prepared say, so for? We say so. We I say. mean, he's going to look unfrickin' beatable. Obviously, it's a smaller man moving up, but it's the best fighter in the world moving up, right? You know, it's. That I mean, if he does it, if he if he controls that entire fight on his terms and wins it, oh boy, Luke, this motherfucker. I mean, yeah. See, but right? I don't know. If I would necessarily say that because we're just making an estimate about how good he is. But maybe the size really is. Yeah, but I like a very to get difficult factor. I like to get caught up in the drama, the romanticism of it. I like to get drunk on it, Luke. You don't like. I think to if really it ends up being like that, that, I think folks are going to say that the size was too much. He needs to go back to one fifty five, and then Dariush could still lose, but be a much tougher fight. Like. Um, you can still be the best fighter on earth, but if the size difference is too much, then it doesn't mean it. Don't you want to like, see that shit now? I know we're about to, but oh like yeah, that- yeah, yeah, oh yeah, dude. I'm, I'd be, ha- dude, I'd be happy to see Makachev fight either of these guys. The fact he's fighting Volk first is great, but yeah, um, yeah, either one of these fights is real difficult. No, real I'm difficult. really, ex- I'm just le- trying to let you know right now that that I'm really excited about that fight. I'm rock hard with emotion, Luke. I'm glad to hear about your genitals, BC. All right. <laughs> At Brandon a, yeah. Blackstone, if Connor comes back and somehow beats Islam, I doubt that, but let's say he did, how would that change his legacy? Now, when he says his, I think he means Connor's. I will tell you that I don't know if Connor has that in him, but if Connor makes anti doping more friendly for the athletes, where they can now get things a little bit easier than they would be for uh, difficult injuries, that actually would be a great contribution from him long term. And I mean that quite genuinely. But in terms of the fight, I mean, if you beat Islam, which you probably won't. That'd be big, right? Huge. Are you freaking kidding me? We the discussion we just had is how is how unbeatable is Mahachev going to look if he grinds up the pound for pound king? All right, like you know what I'm saying. If if then Connor came in there and not just one punch slept him, but you know they got into a fight and Connor won the fight. However, he did that actually won. You know, not a fluke. He won the damn fight, dude. That's that's not just Randy Couture level of Paul Bunyanism. That's like. Maybe unique to what we've ever seen in this game, considering Connor's star power, considering how hated he also is and polarizing, and considering how right now of what we know, it's just unlikely. Like like people like me who have always been willing from a betting and picking standpoint to still believe in that magic, 
and that romanticism of Mystic Mac and no, if he just puts it together for one night, he could beat anybody. You know, sometimes you can you can you can be an addict to to wanting that thing to be true for for many reasons: the entertainment value, the influx to the sport, or just no, I really believe he can he can do that one more time. Um, there's not much left to believe that he really can do that one more time. And certainly not against Islam Mahachev. I mean, are you kidding? Or, or so at he, 155. So, know? yeah, dude, if he did that, that would become like, you know, that like, hey, GSP beating Bisping, move over. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, are you kidding me? That's wild as shit. That'd be insane. Yeah, it'd be insane. I just see it as so remote. If for no other reason, I just don't think that's a fight he's even going to get, you know? Well, that, um, no, no, okay, okay, never doubt. However he plays his cards in terms of coming back, I, I would agree he's going to have to come back and beat somebody and look good, but there's plenty of people they can give him where that's possible, like a Tony Ferguson-type fight. Like, it's possible. We could get a Connor versus Cerrone comeback type of, like, looks better than he actually is moment. Uh, the, the the conversation of Connor versus Islam is always going to be in the front of the UFC's mind from here on out until it's completely unviable. So don't act like it's not. Like, oh, they would they would drop everything to make that, Luke. With the Habib connection, I mean, come on. It's what the UFC lives for, that fight. You know that? I don't that? think they'd make that fight. I don't think that... I, dude, don't get me oh, wrong. Connor's got pull like no one's got pull. We just had a conversation about I mean, he's got to... I'm telling you, he's got to beat somebody first. That's what I'm saying. You got to beat yes. somebody. Yes, yes. Yeah. At 155 or 170? Uh... Yeah, I want to say 155, but he gets special treatment, Luke. So right. even if it's against old name at 170, but he he stops them and looks pretty damn spry, then he's going to call the shots on this. I mean, the thing is, is, I don't think he. I think he wants the title in the third weight class. I don't think he wants it at 155 anymore. That's the issue. Yeah. Well, good luck. Be, good luck beating all those guys, first of all. <laughs> yeah. But also, good luck beating Chimaev. Okay. <laughs> then, yeah. yeah. Or good luck beating Shavkat Rachmanov. You forget yeah. Chimaev, like. Uh, yeah, good luck. All right. Uh, from at real Kempy, not the worst name. Why do so many heavyweights at MMA look out of shape? <laughs> I mean, because of the 265 cut, like that prevents the serious fat guys from fighting. So, well, I mean, it's so many factors. Like there's this argument about the world cup. Where it's like, oh, if America's best athletes played soccer, we dominate, which is a very simplistic argument. It's not really true. Um, so, you know, I don't want to overblow it, but I do think in the case of the United States, dude, our best heavyweights definitely in terms of like physical athletes, they don't they don't box by and large. They go and play in the NFL, they go and play in uh, the NBA or whatever. Like the vast majority of those guys are just pulled out of the system so they they can't go do it. So that's one reason. The other reason is dude, like as a heavyweight and yeah, I'm just the most average piece of shit on earth. But it's just hard for, like, this is why Cain Velasquez was a unicorn, man. Because yeah. it's very, very hard for someone to be 270, or, you know, whatever, 65, but, like, you know, whatever, after a cut, 270 pounds, and be able to have 25 minutes of cardio. Like, it's hard for anyone who's 135 pounds to do that, much less 200 plus. It's just hard to carry around that weight and have that kind of stuff. Plus, we're talking about a diluted talent pool in terms of the heavyweight division itself. And, you know, I don't know if how, I mean, I do think these guys train hard, but, like, do they train in the very best way? Do the, the vast majority of them train in the way that's, like, super ideal for them to get VO2 max pushed to the limits? I don't I don't know that they do. So, it's a few reasons in place, PC. Yeah, that's fair, Luke. I'll, I'll, also, I'll that. some guys like keeping a little bit of heft for their game, like, because it gives them power or it gives them, like, the ability to, like, lay on top of someone and, you know, from, like, side control and really own that space so like part of it is there's a little bit of like i don't want to add too much muscle if i have enough bulk so i still speak. think 
you know, as much as UFC like loves, like we always talk about putting Chase Sherman in the co-main of a fight night card against anybody because, oh, they're heavyweights that'll bang. Guess what? They will. Um, fat heavyweights should be, I know it's hard to get two fat elite guys, right? So you don't see elite fat heavyweight fights, but I love, in, like in all the weird permutations, like, well, oh, I, I love it when wrestler fights pure boxer. No, I love it when fat heavyweights fight, Luke. It's great. That's great. We should great. have a fat division, right? Uh, we should have a fat division. Let me ask you, not named Butterbean, so you can't say him. Who's the best fat guy boxer ever? The old the old version of George Foreman when he came back. Like the 40-plus version who beat Michael yeah. Moore? Yeah, who would like, you know, be eating a tray full of burgers at the <laughs> at the press conference to try to fool people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh oh, well, Long Island Luke is offering James Tony, which he would be referring to like the cruiserweight and heavyweight. Yeah, I was saying because the early version of James Tony was pretty slender. Oh hell yeah! But J- no, so James Tony, like he he actually won a heavyweight title against John Ruiz, but then failed the steroid test and they stripped him. But like you know, he won the cruiserweight world. Like he was so slick as a as a fat dude. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty incredible to watch. But he was a smaller man adding weight. Yeah, I mean, was there who's the best fat fighter of all time? I mean, like, I mean, like like an actual fat man, you know, like Roy Nelson maybe. Yeah, Roy Nelson, Roy Nelson in his peak was really good. I mean, second half, Fedor was just giving up on crunches. <laughs> right? I just mean, doing, you know, yeah, last just couple doing of like kettlebell swings and calling. Oh, Mark Hunt. Mark yeah, Hunt's okay. a good call. Mark Hunt's a great call. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like the early part of DC's announcing career. You know, we let it go a little, right? <laughs> We're in that part still, Luke. It's okay, though. He's, you know, he's, That's he's, funny. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, and last but not least from Khaled. I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Khaled Bedoun. He asks, aside from the USBC, which World Cup team are you pulling for and why? Wow. <laughs> uh, um, I, so I te- do you tend to generically cheer for England after the US or no, because you hate white people and gringos? Well, it's not about white people per se. There's lots of whites in the tournaments, but I never cheer for England. I mean, I love the English, but I ain't cheering for you. Dude, English fans are so, English national team soccer fans are the most pompous motherfuckers alive. I mean, all they do all day long is talk about it's coming home, it's coming home. And then if you saw the response after the the draw they had, it was like, well, they they really let us down and they could have done more. It's like, dude, we fucking bullied you. Like, granted, Gareth Southgate didn't bring in what's his face? Uh Foden, they didn't bring him in. He's real good too, but they got fucking bullied. I mean, that's just the reality yeah. of it. And uh, are you talking so about no, this year's I don't World Cup? I haven't ever. watched no. a, a single second because I'm joining your boycott, so I haven't watched a single second. I, I got to watch the second half of that with my wife. We were out for on Saturday, right. so I did see that part. But all right, well, uh, I always cheer for Lithuania, Luke, but they're you know they're not. They a don't make it. Power they don't the make moment. it. They don't make um, it. Yeah. I always cheer for England as sort of like, but that's sort of like the lame. But that's a lame white person move, right? Kind of like how some people just automatically cheer for Notre Dame football a little, you know, because they're white and like it's just weird. I don't right? think the I don't think the English get American fans to like them. If anything, like the American second choice would be Mexico. Given oh the yeah, fan base see, here. I always want Mexico to be good. Yeah, I do cheer for Mexico a lot. That's true. I do like. Um, but dude, the Mexican team is sorry. They're dude, what sorry. about France? Like they're looked at as villains, but oh, because dude, you know the French, the French are French the jackhammers of all jackhammers, dude. They're, I end up cheering for them. Who was the guy with that with that Teddy Atlas scar? Remember that guy? He was like a evil genius in the in the midfield for France. Yeah, Ribery. Remember that? that, that oh, guy? Frank, he, he's retired. Frank Ribery. Yeah, he's yeah. retired. 
You know, um, my guys are willing to headbutt their way through life, Luke. And I can. That's Zinedine Zidane, who, by the way, coached and played at Real Madrid. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think Americans would cheer for the English like that. Uh, I don't cheer for the Canadians. Like outside of Bronstetter and Shaq, you know, and <laughs> Moro, you know, they're kind of the worst, right? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I like the Canadians, man. They're good people. I like Canadians. Yeah, they're people. all right. Um, I mean, my people are French Canadian, Luke, but you know, whatever, right? The I, answer I, is, I think they're playing today. I don't know. Maybe they're playing now. I'm not even sure. I think I would say Brazil. I'd say Brazil because they got a bunch of players from Madrid. You can't cheer on their for team. Brazil, dude. That's like cheering for the Yankees or something. If you don't have like. Well, you did yeah, pull but here's off the that thing. Real Madrid. Remember, like, a couple World Cups ago, they got bodied by Germany seven to nothing. And here's the thing about the Brazilians: like, yeah, who cares? They'll be back in four years, Luke. They're always in the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? they're real good. They're real good. But like the the thing is, I don't know. They're a little bit choke artists, a little bit, a little bit choke artists. Um, but they've got a bunch of players from Madrid on their team. I mean, Rodrigo they win it. They're, and they're like LeBron in the finals. Milton. Like LeBron in the finals, a little bit of a choke artist. He also has got three rings, Luke. So it's like, what else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, listen, I, listen, I like to root for teams where I'm showing up to the casino and I'm rooting for the house. Yeah, you know I know. That's your real Madrid. <laughs> you know what team I was real into, Luke, in 94? Uh, Bulgaria. Dude, hold on, just back up a step. Hold on, just back up a step real quickly. Oh, the just World take Cup the is L. Not like... Just take the L. No, no, no. Hear, hear me out. There's only, like, if you're asking me, like, like, how many good teams are there in the World Cup? There's, like, three good teams. There's not that many. All right. I don't know. But I do know, Luke, that... Um, uh, remember the 94 Bulgaria? Risto Stoichkov and that other dude that used to pass to him? Like, they were awesome. Remember? They almost they almost made the finals. No, I don't remember that at all. Oh, all right. I have patchy memories. Like, okay, so then would you... Okay, I'll say this. Who is your, like... Uh, who is like your, you know, it's a long shot, but you really love their story kind of thing. I mean, that's become Mexico, although that's not what it should be, right? Yeah, sort of, but they're sorry. Like Senegal is a good choice for that. Oh, Senegal. yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great. Um, that's who else great. would be a good one for that? Um, Croatia looked. They, I think they got, they they beat the shit out of Canada. Um, so there you go. The Croatians beat up the Canadians. Damn, Mirko I'm Krokop. sure Ante yeah. uh, Delia was going. Maybe Chris Delia too, going nuts for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, you know, I just like the Brazilian players because they play for Madrid and they're, pro but yeah, they probably lose, like, dude. They're just like lose. winners, Luke. That's all. I mean, if are you the type of kid, Luke, that when you were doing a season in your video game and it looked like you were about to lose, you would hit just hit reset and redo the game? <laughs> no, but but like I, if I, you I do to... that, you're a pos. Okay, yeah, you're, you're a pos. You are. You're a ter you're a terrible person. I'll say this. Here's my World Cup prediction, Take the L, which ain't worth shit. But hold on. Here's my World Cup prediction. I don't see how the French lose, man. The French team is like. Do they still have? Just, uh, they still have Kareem something. Well, uh, so they have a bunch of injuries. They have a. You're talking about Benzema? Yeah. Who just yeah. won the Ballon d'Or? No, he's out. He's out. They got a bunch of injuries. Yo, Dude, this is the fucking fight, insane part. He can't play through pain. Yao Ming in the 08 Olympics played through a broken foot. Luke, yeah, for I, that I, first I don't. Country. I don't think you should be challenging how how uh, manly he is when you're a couch potato. But the point I wanted to make is, Luke, I French... fought through the emotional trauma to get here, not the physical. Okay, the emotion. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, yeah, you, that's right. Dude, the French team has like a gazillion injuries, so they've got like plenty of subs in. And if you still look at the starting lineup, the starting eleven. All those fucking guys play for top teams. All even the subs play for top teams. Yeah. In Europe, like I just don't know who's going to beat them. That's because they're I don't paying them to do that. Yeah. It's all dirty recruitment, right? No, it's colonialism because a lot of guys they pull from places in Africa and then they combine that with their academy uh, grooming and development teams, 
And the combination of having all that talent plus the academies, the world-class academies, that's what makes them tough. That's that exactly how John a, Calipari built an empire, Luke, okay? <laughs> Colonialism? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at him now, yeah. You remember uh, how good those UMass teams were, Luke? Remember that? Remember at 96 UMass? They were insane. Who was the big seven-footer? Marcus Camby, um, Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, Camby, yeah. yeah. They had the, the Padilla day, brothers. They had the other little white guy from Puerto Rico that made threes. I mean, they had uh, Dante Dingle, Dana Dingle, all the Dingles. All so, the dude, Dingle like, okay, so, like, Dante thinking Bright. of the George. Okay, so getting back to the question, then we'll move on. So, if you're picking, like, your, well, I think it was, like, what was it 2007 when George Mason made the made the Final Four? Remember 06. That? 06. 06. Yeah, Jim Laranaga. Under, under Jim Laranaga, who moved on to, I think, Miami after that. Who is your George Mason in this one? Who's, like, your fucking feel good? Oh, like when Butler made the Final Four that time? Yeah, same thing. Who's your Butler? Who's your George Mason? In college basketball? I was asking about the World Cup, but I think... you know, Oh, oh, sorry. I, I guess, I I guess you that you've, you've exited the Look, conversation. And well, I did over. open the conversation saying I'm joining you in, in boycotting this year's Qatar World Cup out of, you know, human rights issues and shit, you know? Like, no, I think you're boycotting it because you're one of these Americans who doesn't like soccer and you think it's lame. Well, that's that's at least part. That's part. That's a that's that's an additive I put in the fuel that gets me to where I am here. Luke, also, the U.S. Sure. team. Let's be honest about this. The U.S. team, even though they gave England a bit of the business, they suck. I mean, they're not good. So yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I probably true. I didn't see any of the games, but that's probably true. You know, I was real into it sporadically. Luke ninety eight, right? Because of that. When know, does video the U.S. Game? play again? I actually don't even know. Hold on, real, real quickly. Uh, they're probably going to tie again, right? Do you? Can they get in with three ties, Luke? I don't, I think, I don't know. Oh, they play Iran next tomorrow at two. They play Iran tomorrow too. Are you going to watch that? Is that a rematch of the first golf challenge, Luke? <laughs> oh no, that was Kuwait. Yeah. Uh, they speak Farsi in Iran, not Arabic. Yeah. Um, they're not the same. They're different people. They're Persians. I'll watch they're it. not Arabs. What? I'll watch it because you want me to. So let's do it, Luke. Okay. Actually, I'm not going to watch it either, so it's okay. Uh, all right, uh, that's it yeah. for the games with Donks, BC. Who cares time about your, All right, now, let me say this one more time. It's time for BC's feces. I cannot tell you how many times this degenerate, look at that smile on his face, <laughs> biting his lip like he's Gina Carano sitting ringside. He has told me this is like an epic dose. Of no, BC's I said feces. I got a really good batch of shit this week, okay? Right, I know I've said that it, before. Dude. Let's see okay. it. Uh, I scoured the Globe yesterday, the highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly. And the in-between from over the weekend in combat sports and much more from beyond. Uh, shout out to Gaff Pierre for digging through this shit. It's, it's BC's feces. Let's do it. All righty. Oh, God. Okay. PFL championships from the MSG Theater, Luke. Uh, Rob Wilkinson and Omari Akhmedov for the middleweight championship put on mm. a bloody war. Wilkinson, Luke, gave us another one of those feel-good redemption stories from his own being cut from the UFC and making this comeback. But both of these guys, they only went two rounds until Akhmedov's cut brought an end to it. But damn. Yeah, brother. you're saying it's a war. And don't get me wrong. Like, Akhmedov put in what he could. It was a little one-sided, dude. True. It was a I little mean, bit one-sided. Akhmedov really tested Wilkinson's chin, too, with some right-handed yes. bombs. But, yeah, yes. it, became, it became a drubbing. And uh, damn. I mean, they they gave all Luke, and I was I was really happy to see that. Mm. For my off the card in style. Yeah, well, Luke, they had the battle for the name rights to the Marais family. Uh, Shaman wins by knockout, but the bigger story here, Luke, is how many more times are we going to allow ourselves mm. to watch hammers 
destroy um, Marlon Marais. Uh, it's it's already been too many. For deep half there, then sits up. I mean, dude, he was winning too. He yeah. was looking. It wasn't like he was looking bad. He was looking good, but his ability to take damage has just been severely compromised, man. How do you tell you know a thirty four year old? I guess you do, right? You got to tell them. You got you know. I mean, they might be surprised, Luke, but some people have been able to take that cue and and turn it into, you know, empires in different areas. You just want to see Marlon healthy and him taking on, uh, you know, very talented guys is not going well anymore. It's just no, not. it so. really is. It's it's. I, I felt terrible. I was like, dude, he's going to pull it off here, and then. You mentioned nope. a potential hammer of the month. How about twenty four year old Brit Dakota Decheva? Yeah, dude, look at this. Look at this young lady. Fucking firecracker. Uh, seven and zero now with his first round KO. It it definitely it didn't get their attention in the crowd. It got my attention though. Woo! No, she looks like she can she can thump a little bit. She looked good. Uh, you know who proved a little thumpage was uh, the grandson of the greatest, Biagio Ali Walsh, brother of uh, Nico Ali Walsh, the boxer, made his MMA debut here, and she needed just forty five seconds to bring the heat. That's that Ali power. I think it is, Luke. He's got some swagger too, just like his bro. I mean, he looked like he belongs right there, who's, right now. Yeah, who's who's the other one in boxing? Nico Ali Walsh. Nico Ali Walsh, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah unbeaten middleweight, I think. Um, but, you know, that was a highlight reel performance there. We'll see what else he has. Uh, wholesome moment here, though, from Brendan Lochnane, as we mentioned. Here's the finish of him realizing the $1 million with blood flowing down his face. Look at that crowd reaction, Luke. That's yeah. his family. That's his family. And he even said he brought his mom in there, which, you know, was very touching for someone like me. And then he said, you know, I told her when we didn't have a pound in the bank, I was going to make it. And uh, sure enough, he did. He is $1 million richer. He's also a world champion. I think he changed that narrative of first reference. He's no longer that guy from that series, Luke. He's a world champion now. So shout out and... Not to be outdone, here is Olivier Aubin Mercier, who had his own path to redemption here with this lightweight championship, and he delivered the boom via the right hand. Woo! Mm. Yikes. What a right hook. I mean, just perfect. Timed the, it perfectly, oh, too. From the tips of hell, just the tip. Wow, just, just a Switch touch stance, there. Switch stance and then fire the right hook. Just beautiful. Woo! All right, that what a what a holiday weekend there for OAM. He gets the win. Luke Dominance MMA spent their holiday weekend in a different visit uh, in Chechnya as a guest of uh, Ramzan Kadyrov. Here is Gechi Usman and Cejudo, former uh, champions of interim or full renown, in Guadarmas, Russia, at a special forces facility, sampling weapons for the holidays. You just can't believe stuff like this, huh? Um, so they were a special guest of Ramzan Kadyrov. Luke, why do you have issue with that? Well, uh, you mean the guy's a, uh, a murderous dictator. Uh, there's that. I mean, here's the thing. I think if we just sit here and we lash out at these guys, they're just going to tune us out. You know, truly, I mean that. Like, I'm not trying to lash out. And we've interacted with Justin Gaethje. I've never interacted. I've interacted with Kamaru a little bit. I've never interacted with Henry directly, but I've interacted with those other two guys, and I like them a lot. I don't think they're bad people. But they're making a real... I, I would ask them to please, please reconsider doing this. Please think I mean, isn't longitudinally this, about this. Is this... Correct me if I'm wrong. It's a different scenario, but is this the same thing of Tyson Fury posting that video that time ahead of booking the Dillian White fight and thanking Daniel Kinahan and everybody being like, we're just blatantly doing this thing. 
Is this, is this the so same here's thing? The thing. Or no? I mean, there's just a lot of funny money in combat sports generally. And you go back to, you know, even Ali engaged in sports washing, like Muhammad Ali. Like, it's been going on for a long time. It's just the issue for me is, like, not so much about, like, hey, did uh, Anthony Joshua get a big purse from the Saudis? You know, I really don't care. I mean, I don't love it that they fight in, you know, Saudi Arabia or whatever. But the, I, I can kind of sort of rationalize that a little bit. The thing that I think these guys should reconsider is how they're being used. They're being put in these promo videos um, by Kadyrov, and what does he use them for? He uses them for, you know, propaganda. He uses them for sports washing. He uses them also to like burnish his appeal, and frankly, to it, it helps him strengthen his hold over Chechnya, which then leads into all of the other human rights violations. I mean, dude, it's it's yeah. supposed to be illegal to do business with this guy. I don't even know. I don't even know how this is happening. So I'm not going to go ahead and be like, oh, my God, how could these guys do it? Because I don't think they'll listen. But please, guys, you have to think long term. You are being used for purposes here. And I'm sure they're getting a big bag for it. But they're being used for I mean, purposes is this, here that can only age poorly. Yeah. I mean, this could be Epstein Island. I mean, this could be it could age very poorly, Luke. This is well, also the other part, too, is like, dude, MMA media. Have you noticed they don't say shit about this? Nothing. It's like, dude, the next time. Someone comes out and, again, you don't have to go out and condemn them because you're trying to find the way to get them to listen. I don't know what that is, but we're trying. But, like, the next time someone comes through and says something like the MMA media, you know, um, they get attacked for something and then they want to defend their practices, you can fucking stop that now. Now. Every critique that people make of them is toothless. And here's what's kind of funny about it. Is well, like, is it them? Is it always them or is it parent companies just making a decision? To sure. I mean, there's a lot of, of actors. And maybe, yes, the fighters should make better decisions. And what's the UFC doing about this? And the, what, is this even legal? Like, there's all kinds of questions involved here. Fair enough. And what's the media's role? Like, you know, if, if people are like, well, should they meet with the president, the American president? And I'm like, well. You know, I, I don't know, but here's what I definitely know. If they were taking money from Joe Biden to then appear in propaganda videos with him, I'd probably have something to say about that, too, for sure. So it could definitely cut both ways. I mean, let's be clear about that. But I think the thing I, I, that sort of just goes back to me on this whole thing is like, dude, the role of media, like none of us have the right answers, right? We don't know what we, we, we can only present the facts to the audience and then they can make a determination about it. And that's fine. But to not say anything. To not say anything, you're a yeah, coward. You need a, a hero coward, who's will. Luke is basically saying, I need a hero who's willing to uh, confront and accost these people and make them answer no, for what they're potentially what doing. Said. It's and not nobody, at all what I said. I mean, are we tough enough to go up to Suhudo and blame him for turning it into cringenia, Luke? I don't know, but there was someone willing to answer that call for a hero, and his name? Hasbula Magomedov. Here's uh -oh. footage to prove it, Luke. As Beulah went right up to Cejudo and was like, what are you doing, bro? Damn, dude, dude Cejudo is kind of a... Or, I'm sorry, not Cejudo. Hasbullah is kind of a menace, bro. Kind of? Did you watch that interview he did with the Barstool guy? Look, it was amazing. <laughs> dude, he just goes up and assaults people. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, on site, Luke. You know, when he's got a, a grudge with you, it's on site. No question about it. He loves kid, kitty cats and firearms. Let me uh, ask you a serious question. What happens when someone's like, yo, I've had enough of this shit, and they actually swing on him? I think that person could be McGregor. Seriously. That could go in a distasteful way. I mean, imagine if, like, McGregor cold-cocked this guy or kicked him in the face or something. Like, that's not... That video's not going to look good, Luke, right? That That's going to... I don't yeah. know, man. The guy is begging for it. Also true, but, you know, there you go. Hey, let's go to happier times here, Luke. Uh, Israel Adesanya, the former champion, this was, like, a day or two after losing his belt, showed up on the set of Hot Ones... 
And here is him tasting the final called the Debom, which is like that ridiculous nuclear one, Luke. That yeah, like, I've had it. It's uh, unbearable. Here's Izzy's reaction. Ready. Mm. I think this is where it starts to... Uh, yeah. This is a different... My precious. You gotta feel it. Don't fight it. No. Just roll with it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Damn, Luke, he was speaking in tongues there, it seemed like. That was like fifth round against Gastelum level shit he pulled. He pulled deep for that. Did you ever see the episode with DJ Khaled? Yes, where he outright after two of them was like, you know what, not going to play these reindeer games. Don't need to. You played yourself, right? I'm out of here. I was going to say, dude, like, I, I, so I've had the bomb, and I've had the one that they make, the last dab. I've yeah. had the last dab a couple of times. It's bad, but it's not like, it's bad. It's, yeah. But it's not horrific. The bomb is horrific. Um, I, Izzy took it pretty well. Yeah. It's fucking terrible, dude. Dude, I have, I mean, I have no stamina in this department. Luke, if I step, you know, I talked to you about it. If, I, if I'm hanging out in the eighth row and I order the takeout Thai food and I get the balls to go up to medium, there's a wide range of medium, Luke. There's medium where I can just pull it off sweating and dripping. And then there's the KO medium. Um, I couldn't imagine stepping up to that. I Imagine doing this show. I'd be like Bob Saget, RIP, like his episode where he was like hallucinating and falling apart. I mean, it's a great So you're game. allowed to have, you see it there on the thing, you, they give you a pitcher of water and then they can bring you milk. Yeah. And the milk is the only thing that's really going to help. The water ain't going to do all that much. Um, you would just have like a keg of milk there, wouldn't you? You know how badly people want you and I to do this type of weird stuff. Like I won't do that one chip bullshit, Luke. I think that's just like, here, BC, stick your finger into this socket. You know I mean? It's, I would do the, I would do the hot wings thing. All right. Maybe we can work trivia into that or something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I would do it. We could do our own. Like we're, we're never going to be famous enough to be on the show. So we could just pretend. Yeah. You know what I mean? And make the staff do it. And then we could make Phil be like, uh, like Sean Evans, the host Yo, of the show, you know, I bet you that guy, Tristan, you know, our, our camera guy and security guard. Cause until he kill, turns on us and kills us, um, I bet you he dominates without even making a facial expression. Oh, he wouldn't even. It would be like the buzzing of flies to him. Yeah. All right, Luke, let's roll on here. Pay-per-view boxing from Carson, California, the Dignity Health Sports Park, also gave us unbeaten heavyweight Bakadir the Big Uzek Jalalov 
He improved to uh, 12 and 0. Did Jalalov? Excuse me. With 12 knockouts, Luke. He was the gold medalist at super heavyweight. He uh, headlined a showbox card recently, but uh, he looks to be the real deal here. This was the fourth round stoppage against Curtis Harp Harper. You in on this Jalalov train or no? Oh, a little bit. You've talked you've talked him up a little bit to me, right? Like yeah. you've personally told me he's pretty good, but I don't know. Well, fighting Curtis Harper can always be an adventure. Let's rewind a few rounds before the big Uzbek got the finish. Check out Harper going right after the headbutts in the clinch. Oh, oh, dude, that is again, once again, this Cochino referee put some latex gloves on. Yo, that's you Thomas Taylor, 19th man. century dentist. What are you doing? Jack, Thomas Taylor is jacked. Um, if you know the name Curtis Harper in boxing, it's of two reasons, Luke. One, that early PBC brawl he had with Chris Ariola, which is worth rewatching. Or two, this moment. Luke, do you remember when Curtis Harper and... F.A. Ajagba, we're about to face off in a heavyweight tilt. Oh, he just walked out? Yeah, yeah, good old Curtis Harper just was like, you know what, guys, not doing this. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> you Dude, played yourself. I think I, I think I interviewed this fucking guy on my radio show. I just forgot his name. Yeah, yeah, Curtis Harper. The, he walked out before this fight ever happened, claiming he was, you know, lowballed with the pay, but... Uh, you see, yeah, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if I had to fight a Jogba, I would also just walk out. <laughs> would you do like a DX crotch before exiting the ring and just be like, fuck you? Know, no, I probably wouldn't walk, though. I'd probably sprint to the fucking uh, Uber waiting to take me home. Ajagba <laughs> yeah, is terrifying. Uh, also at this pay-per-view card, real recognized real in the locker room as Houston-born Jamal Charlo uh, showed up for uh, Rougarou here in the locker room. Regis Progray, who's... Now residing in Houston. Dude, I can't ever tell if the Charlos are happy. Well, how do you decipher this interview? Jamal Charlo then rolled up on Dimitri Bivol. Here's the results. To recap here, middleweight champion Jamal Charlo, who we all want to move up to 168 to enter that field, went up to the unified light heavyweight champion Dimitri Bivol, or, or, or I'm sorry, one belt. He's gonna. We hope he's gonna face better beef for all the belts. And said, "Let's fight. We don't even need the title on the line." Then Bivol said, "No, the title needs to be on the line." And then J Jamal said, "Well, let's do it at 68." Is uh, no one was talking about this? Is this a thing, or Jamal just just making headlines out here? I think he's just making headlines. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see it. I actually think highly of Jamal, but um, no, I don't. Uh. -uh. I don't buy that. Dude, uh, I don't have the video here, but Bivol got mobbed with love from the uh, from the fans there in Southern California because let's not forget, he had just beaten Canelo and and uh, Zerto in succession. So they were like yelling, Canelo's dad, Canelo's... like they, In Spanish, Luke, they were shouting him out. He turned a corner, dude. He beat two uh, well-liked Mexican fighters, basically, right? Yeah, and, I mean, I don't uh, know how the, that Jamal fight happens, but I like Jamal... Saying stuff like that though it gets me gets me fired up, gets me excited. But uh, yeah, big weekend there, big life, 
big year for B-Vol. But Luke, let's see the finish on this Regis Progray win. It was a close and action-filled fight. Technical at times, but in round 11, finally, he hurts Zapata. And this is Regis Progray taking care of business. Oof. And closes the show. Dude, Rougarou, I'm telling you, man. I was worried about the state of his career the last three years because yeah. he he was he had a lot of acclaim before the Taylor fight, and then just kind of kind of just hit a cool spot in his career. It was kind of weird, and uh, I've been waiting for him to do a little bit more. And I think this is the start of something great. I really like Rugaru a lot. He's yeah. one of my favorite boxers to watch. This is not like an inter a vacant title against a nobody. It's a to battle tested to say the least. So this is a big win. Uh, grilling season is almost over here, Luke. As we head towards winter. So we won't see many fails like this anymore. Oh, oh, fuck. No, that's not, that's not. <laughs> oh, young lady, pull the fucking thing up. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for that to just explode like a bomb. You know, Luca, that's not good. That At least she had, I, I think that's oh, on her pool. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? That was, yes, that is. That is. Uh, I mean, Luke, we've seen footage before of uh, Habib doing that rest, that basketball, wrestle basketball uh, mm -hmm. combo thing that they do in Dagestan. Do you see this new thing putting up a hoop in the octagon or in the cage as if it's like a basketball hoop inside your pool? Could this catch on? Yeah. Whoa, watch out, Daryl Dawkins. Chocolate Thunder, Luke, here in the, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, this just looks like, I'm not sure what's dumber, this or uh, slap fighting. What about car fighting with the seatbelt and the uh, car jitsu? You're not into that either? Yeah, I mean, that's just too stupid to even comment on, you know. Okay. Uh, Luke, you ever th imagine what it would be like if a celebrity walked by your house and then their dog shit in front of your door and they didn't have a dog bag to pick up the shit, so they... Rang the doorbell to talk to you. Hey, let's watch this, Luke. Hello, Hello Luke. Um, it's, my dog's just had like a sloppy shit outside. I was just wondering if you got some water. I don't want to leave it outside. That can't be the bad It is. I'm, I'm five minutes away from home. Um, don't worry, I'll clean it. You sure? I just I feel I feel terrible. You <laughs> know what I mean? No, it's all right. You just had the proper sloppy shit, and I can't even pick it up with the poo bag. You <laughs> know what I mean? Don't worry, I'll clean it when I get in. Uh, thank you very much once again. I'm sorry about that. I hate doing stuff like that. That's why I knocked on. Go on, I'll see you later. Hey, that's a good dog owner. <laughs> Uh, I hope that's the only time a fan has allowed a sloppy shit from from uh, from Patty the Batty Luke. We don't need right. any. I mean, what, I mean, come on. <laughs> we don't need any Cleveland Steamer stories, Luke. But that was, you know, he's being a good citizen here. Okay. Very good. I tell you what, there's a lot of people that just let that shit slide quite literally. Absolutely. In my own neighborhood, there are, and I'm sick of it. All right. Uh, also, boxing Hold this on. weekend. Have you ever walked your dog? I've done this before. Have you ever walked your dog and for just like just just accidentally forgot like the poop bag? Oh yeah, or purpose. And then they yeah. and then they took a they took a monster dump. What do you do? If you can corral enough leaves that have fallen to kind of build a little cradle to to like scoop and throw, but that's risky, dude. I don't know. I might walk back and get a bag if it's a giant one. I'm not going to touch it, right? So, I mean, yeah, I've, I just I've, keep it. I just keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah, I've left some killers, but that gets around in a neighborhood, Luke. Though. You yeah, know yeah. You, you can only do that a couple times before you start yeah. getting a rip. <laughs> In the rain, though, yeah, 100%, Luke. You know, the rain's just going to take care of that for you. My dogs right? won't even walk in the rain, so I don't even have to. 
Your dogs are bitches, Luke. All right, let's well, go yeah, to one uh, of them is, yeah. Let's go to Wyndham, New Hampshire. Some club boxing. This is Javier Torres. He was making his pro debut, but they had to delay the fight to, uh, as the referee forced him to remove his nipple ring. I believe this is the first time this has happened in boxing history. Your thoughts, Luke? Um, why the fuck do you have a nipple ring? <laughs> Nobody picked up on that in the walk. I mean, you know, to the ring. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could have a shirt on, but that's uh, that's some some some. I mean, good... you know, yeah, I understand it. They make you trim your. I mean, obviously in boxing, it doesn't matter as much because the full hand is covered. But like, you know, you've seen the whole bit where like the referee checks them at the prep pot prep prep spot, and then it's like, oh, let's they get the clippers out and they clip their nails and shit. You know, and they're checking like yeah. you can't be having that stuff. I mean, boxing's got strict rules on beards, you know, like for, for you to be allowed to fight with a big beard, your opponent has to approve it and the commission has to approve it and all that. So, um, interesting. I don't think they do that in MMA, though, Luke. Roy Nelson was allowed to do whatever he wanted with that big sweaty belly, you know? Yes, I know. All right. Uh, speaking of boxing, Luke, the, shout out to the Rise podcast. They had Tank Davis on and the topics of both future fights against Shakur Stevenson and and Devin Haney came up. Let's hear his response. That I think that could be Tank. That would be Devin. That would be Shakur and Tank Davis himself. Tuck. Yeah. That, right. You got you got the last one right. That's the only person that could beat me, Javante Davis. That's the only person. Them niggas cannot touch me at all. They all been in the ring with me. They all been in the ring with me. They all been in the ring, and I cracked both of them. I cracked both of them. I feel you, but but check this right there. But, uh, okay, so, so you're telling me you cracked both of them, right? But I, I was also told that Devin got the best of you in the last sparring session. He didn't get no best of me. He ain't get no best of me. He did not get no best of me. He jumped right off the okay. plane and sparred Devin. Come right on, off the plane. He didn't get no best of me. He didn't get no best of me. Let me okay. tell you something, man. You can, you can go on the internet. And you know I sparred him twice. I sparred him twice. Right, right, right. And, 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 and Bill took him out the ring. And Bill admitted that. You may not get moved by stuff like this in MMA, but in boxing, when we at times can only dream about the big matchups, although we're getting closer to this Ryan Garcia one, this this got me. This I, I was moved hearing this, Luke. I love hearing power players talk about other power players because Shakur's been, who I love, has been talking a lot of Jay about Tank on the old Twitter in this. Uh, what do you think when you hear Tank come back and be like, yo, I, I, I put it on both of them already. You know what this podcast needs? It needs more people. That's what it needs. <laughs> uh, I, I saw the... I didn't. I, this is the first time seeing the video. I saw the news articles written about it, so I had heard what he had said. Haney and uh, Stevenson, they did. Do you have the response? Because they did not like that shit at all. I don't have it handy. What, what did they... Did no, they, they were both like, you're capping, which apparently is the thing that young people say. Uh, and this is all bullshit, and he's not telling the truth, and they, you know, he was getting handled like... Stevenson and Haney were like bullshit. Now, who's telling the truth? I have no clue. But um, dude, I, I, I reserve the right to be as giddy and optimistic and romantic as possible to the idea that these four—not four kings, but as Karen Mulvaney calls them the, the, of the Showtime Boxing Podcast—the four princes. If this group of Haney, Rye guy, Shakur, uh, Teofimo, also in that, and Tank. If this group of five guys or four guys, however it plays out, can all fight each other and keep moving up and wait with each other, 
this is this is what, this is what I this this is the air that I breathe as a boxing fan. Okay, so to hear these guys now talking about each other and starting to grind those gears, Luke. Yeah, let's do that shit, right? Let's do that, son. Inject me in the bag, baby. Yeah, all right. Hey, Luke, rate that tat. Let's get into the good stuff right here. You know this game. Cody Garbrandt has a new sideburn tat. Your thoughts uh, and ratings. I'm not getting a clear view of it. Let's see. There's the stencil. He's, it looks like he's got a heart tattoo on his cheek. That is correct. Um, I'll say, and it looks like she's single needling there as well. It's a well-done tattoo. It is a well-done tattoo. It's especially hard to do uh, a face like that um, in such a small amount of like real estate there. That's actually really well done. The question there would be, do you want a tattoo like that there? It's kind of um, cool how it gives you the full definition of a thick 90s style sideburn, though. Like, if you put a hat on with that, that'd look pretty cool, right? I actually like his his uh, blasted neck. That's actually really well done. Because, you know, Luke, until really, like, my early 30s, I couldn't go- grow anything reliable facial hair-wise. I'm not kidding, Luke. It's just, you know, it's the way I was put together. Or maybe the water that I drank in the factory, Luke. But, uh, you know. I, just- I got to tell you, I, don't, I like the tiger uh, sideburn. I so, don't well, I mean, the, I mean, just to let me the- actually tell the point of what i was setting up there look you're like bc this joke's gonna suck so i'm just gonna cut right through yeah i was just gonna run over it yeah uh you know luke i i at certain points in my 20s would would have been willing to get a to go one cycle of steroids if they can inject me in the cheek or so the idea of a tattoo that gives you the image that you can grow a manly beard that you have enough testosterone in you are you you gonna be like that like 70 year old woman who's got tattooed eyebrows Yes, I'm going to get a tattooed beard, Luke, because it's not working out for me. I can't do it. It's, Dude, I don't have... in Colombia, you see all kinds of places like that for, like, women's beautification or whatever. Yeah. That do, like, permanent eyebrows and shit like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm, bad news. All right, all right. Uh, let's keep Rate That Tat going. Here's a Nick Diaz fan tat that the head of the Diaz Army shared on Instagram. Well, this is just, I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is a zero. Uh, this is... <laughs> A truly <laughs> terrible tattoo. <laughs> which which fight is that, Luke? In the great career of Nick. That's Diaz? the Nick Diaz uh, Takanori Gomi Gogo Plata from Pride. Oh, it looks like a creative fighter from uh, the first UFC video game. He's got in this in this tattoo rendition. Takanori Gomi has a monster right butt cheek. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, right, that tat takes us to Philadelphia. Here's welterweight contender Sean Brady. Big, you know, we love him here, Luke. I hope he doesn't hold it against me that I remembered the name. But what do you think about this back of the neck tat here? Uh, that's excellent. So that is a American traditional tattoo. Now, again, there's a question of would you want this and would you want it where it is placed, right? So that's a separate question. But in terms of ta- yeah, in terms of tattooing skill, that is very good. I love very, the colors. That's menacing looking too. And since he's all in, I mean, he's already told us about the ass cheeks. Look, I disagree with that lifestyle choice, but you know, yeah. he's since he we know he's already all in. This is pretty badass. No, but Luke, it's not really our- well done. It's not our tattoo of the week. Let's go to this random Uber driver and we'll play the volume to go with it. Here's your real tattoo of the week and I'm going to need you to rate it. Your driver has a tattoo. Y'all want to see it? (laughs) Uh, Luke, uh, rate that tat, please. Oh, my... Fucking God. Rate that tap pole right there. Wow. That all, is... I can see his like <laughs> driver has a tattoo. Y'all want to see like the fat part of his fupa sticking out there? 
Right? Look at that. I mean, yeah. Can we not keep playing it? I mean, I think I mean, we hit it once. Is, that was good. Um, yeah. That first of all, this, first of all, I, I, I like how like the like the hog. Go go back. No, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lean into this one. Go back, please. <laughs> look. Do you think it's do you think okay, it's size? So look at the hog. Look at the hog, specs. which is like you know it's supposed to be a a well designed hog. And then look at my man's shriveled arm. He, I mean, he just two <laughs> different kinds of people there. Do you know how old his balls must look? His balls, yeah, his, ball, be... his balls are the worst balls. And like to borrow from Doug Stanhope, his balls sag like the cheese on a pizza when you're pulling the slice away from the pie. You know what I'm talking about? Wow! Did you see that guy's balls? They were weird. Wow! <laughs> okay. This guy has one thousand percent, one thousand percent run from the cops. <laughs> he has had his car repossessed. Okay, um, but here's the important question: Is that to scale? I because if it is, you may know. have to you may have to give him a thumbs up if it is. Okay. If it was to scale, he wouldn't have a tattoo, would he? That's this guy's probably dickless. Let's be honest. Wow. All right. Uh, well, speaking of dick, Luke, I got a whole segment for this. Uh, what do you think of this cake? All right. I mean, there's a kid there on her fucking Apple Amazon Fire or whatever the fuck, and they're doing this. And he's got nipple rings? Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. All right. You may want to take that down, too. Okay. There you go. Hold on. No. Oh, my. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Oh I mean, again, really? Dude, we may where, want to just... <laughs> where did you get? You are a disturbed person. Uh, I didn't Truly. create it. Like, I'm just like the conduit, the middleman, unfortunately. Dude, ideal. there's a child next to him. Yeah, and okay. Can we get it off the screen then? Can we be, can we, uh, you know, not in front of the kids, please here. All right, Luke. Uh, you want to build this stuff in private where the adults go. Like in the bathroom, Luke, what do you think about this toilet paper holder? <laughs> What country is this where it's slang papeta? <laughs> look at the look at the sign. I don't know, Luke, but look at the unit on that holder. All right, there you go. Uh, Luke, let's go to your favorite band for our final piece of, of cock art this week. We have a request. This song is about shooting blood from your cock. I mean, how the how the hell are you going to stand up for this despicable art, Luke? I mean, so you're he, kidding also, me. He does this at every stop of the tour. He did this in uh, in here in DC as well. How do you stand? How do you? I mean, you're going to stand beside that, Luke? What do you? I mean, what are you doing? The, so, the song is called "I Come Blood." What do you want him to, talk, to say? It's about that's, okay, that's maybe, what the song is about. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. well, you know, okay, all right. I guess we, no matter what, we, wow, I don't know how to come back from that. How about let's go to Bob Sapp footage. Here's 49-year-old Bob Sapp, who no one's going to say isn't ripped to the gills, but working out in Crocs and, like, mittens. Are you okay with this? And there's a dog with a harness in the back there, too. Um, First, can you comment about his abs, Luke? They're tremendous. I will say that. They, him, him and the other bro, they're, they're, they're fucking tremendous, man. Are you okay with the working out in Crocs and, and, and mittens like that? Are you good with that? The Crocs, I can let slide. But the socks with the Crocs is a bit much. And then the gloves are uh, unforgivable. Yeah. That's, that picture screams Florida, doesn't it? Yeah, South Florida. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to our regional KO of the week, Luke. It's Shamil Gassenbakoff. 
with the uh oh we got spinny shit yeah let's watch it oh shit damn i don't know what promotion that is but damn dude these russian guys they're just next level man yeah they're also in a hurry wow damn yes uh luke speaking of uh russian heroes Zabit Magomed Sharapov, the greatest UFC featherweight of all time, posted this curious video of him just working the mitts and the with the boxing. Uh, your thoughts? He looks frail. Yeah. Yeah. Does it me or is he looks like he's moving real slow? I wasn't impressed. You know, I was. You know? I was gonna say though, that's Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln got hands, player. Yeah, yeah. Could he? You know, if if uh, if Wilkes Booth was a man and wanted to challenge him to like a, a duel like that should have been that should have been like Burr and Hamilton Luke. Abe should have been given that shot right to fight for his life yeah yes show, show us what you got with that boxing Abe yeah it's a, the coward you know coward got him uh here's your scorpion of the week though Luke these are always fun Uh, I don't know if he walked again, but you wear that outfit. You you play those games, Luke. You're it's like, gonna... dude, you wore white fucking pants and like some kind of 1970s shirt to whatever the fuck this was, and then you pulled off the worst flip. In I mean, you just paralyzed yourself in the process. Um, congrats to this Darwin Award winner. Thank you. Uh, two more for you, Luke. We've done the pleasure of ordering you room service. Um, here's what you'll be eating from now on on the road. The blue vape that you asked for on a napkin. Thank you. Uh, your Very blue cool. vape, sir. This is uh, cranberry watermelon. Do you know how often I have those moments when the great people at Malka are like, hey, run into the store. You guys need anything? It looks like, yeah, I need a purple rain, uh, mischief pink colored energy drink to go with my watermelon iced vape. Yeah, it's just like, wow. Does that, does that come with a homemade tattoo and a divorce look? What is that? And your car getting repossessed. Don't forget that. <laughs> but hey, I own my own piece of land, Luke, somewhere in Europe. All right. Uh, finally, Luke, you know you love gender reveals, okay? Hey, Tell does me everyone if... die in this clip? Otherwise, <laughs> I don't want to see it. You shot down the one of the guy Duncan on the alley-oop from his girl to be to find out they were having a boy. Then what are your thoughts about this? Okay, that's beyond disturbing. Uh, Luke, I think it's a boy. I think they're having a boy. Okay, you're you're like a pro. You know, blue blue confetti would have done the same trick. Or, or they're gonna have a girl with a giant dog. Either way, <laughs> I don't. I think these are stupid. Okay, sorry, Luke. You know, I thought I I I knew I had a chance that this would hit big, but you know, I was, was like, very- I don't know if we're watching Morning Combat here or the Crying <laughs> Game. This is really hard to tell. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That's all the shit I've got this week. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that is it for us today. Probably the last show we're ever going to do. Yeah. Showtime's going to look at this and be like, well, let's call it a day. <laughs> that podcast. Um, who could blame them? Uh, if you are still interested in getting merch while it's up, you can go to morningcombat.store. We got a 20% off sale. Black Friday is your code word. You can get a bunch of stuff there. Uh, let's see. Showtime.com. Label that page. You go to showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you may bounce. Don't forget. The fan subs and dead wrongs, they are back. Morningcombat at gmail.com will be the place to get that. BC, any, uh, how was, we didn't even talk about this before we go. How was Thanksgiving overall? The overall experience? So good. 
so good. You know, with the with the um, pandemic, and then I went on vacation last year during Thanksgiving to meet Usain Bolt for my son. So I didn't have like that, you know, experience with those group of people for three years. So it was wonderful. Look, backyard football game, even though we lost in OT, a lot of big moments from some key players. You know, when like that kid in your backyard family Thanksgiving football game, you know, comes of age at like age nine and makes the big tip interception and goes the distance. Moments like that, Luke, you know, it was like the PFL finals, to be fair. You know, it was just yeah. men growing and women. Yeah, too, mine was pretty you know? good, too. The traffic on the way down was not great, but not terrible. There was zero traffic on the way back, which was awesome. And um, my brother, what? he took he brined the turkey and then uh, cooked it a little uh, cooked it basically for the, the internal meat was was cooked, then chopped it up. I mean, the way he cooked it was he sous vide it, then chopped it up, oh, wow. and then egg washed it, and then deep fried it. So we had deep fried sous vide pieces of turkey. I bet it was, it was tremendous. Luke, great. To be fair, it was unbelievably good. Yeah. People in your family, when they do things, they tend to do it well. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And their Cal Ripken streak of not asking about my show is uh, alive, <laughs> alive and well. Well, Luke, come. The first week of December, if we win yet another award, why don't you just tell whoever's given us this next award if we win it, send the address to one Robert Thomas. You know, just make a little little mix-up in the mail, and then, you know, he'll open it up. and Best podcast of all time? My son? You know, like, Luke, we could kind of mess with this a little, you know? No, nah, he'd be like, people are sending me junk mail now. Just use it as a paper holder or chuck it in the garbage. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that is it for us. Uh, BC, any final thoughts before we go? Uh, I hope as well our great viewerhood, viewership, even beyond my cousins listening right now. I hope you guys all had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday run reconnecting. I know they don't celebrate this elsewhere or you have your own version, but it's not as, you know. I mean, look, you know, Naugatuck was up 10 nothing on Ansodi at the half, trying to get back-to-back wins over that behemoth for the first time since 1982, and they lost 18-10. to So that was hard to swallow at home, too, but... You know, you don't really care about the 122nd meeting on Thanksgiving Day between those two powerhouses. That's Valley football. Hey, did you see Logan Paul was at the Milford, Connecticut Thanksgiving game too? Wild, I right? Did not. A, I did Connecticut not. in the forefront. You know, Connecticut is the foreskin of the country at this moment, Luke. The kind they cut off during circumcision? No, 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 no. The kind, yeah, okay. Maybe maybe we should just end it, right? Just yeah, like, we should probably just end it. We're going to get fired. All right, well, this is the last one we did. We had a good run. For Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to Showtime, CBS Sports, as well as Malka. We'll see you guys on Wednesday in studio, don't forget. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.